Ah. Mama. Mama. We made it. What it, what it, what it do now? Ladies and motherfucking sexy ass ladies, friends of the ladies, <laughs> and the gentlemen in the back. You like how I caught myself before I went there? <laughs> Every <laughs> Tell him, douchey. So look. We have one of my most favorite human beings on the planet Earth. One of the most sultriest white boys that you'll ever see. Young Mark Griffin, a.k.a. Mark E. Basie, the motherfucking Bay's very own soul singer, lyric slinger. God damn it. That was a singer. (laughs) (laughs) Give it up for Mark E. Basie. Basie. Hit him with the with the two people applause. You feel me? Welcome to the podcast. Mac, where were you at, bro? You gotta clap for me. Come on, Eric. Mac, you gotta clap for him with the fucking Do with the again. camera in your hand. Mark Basie, what it do, baby? Thank you for coming on. Thank you uh, guys for having me, man. I'm I'm glad to be in such a beautiful space. This uh, beautiful space is more glad than you are to have you. Just okay. know that. Great. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got that like jump off Johnny looking like you just straight got back from Cuba right now. I did this for you guys. I respect um, it. I actually, I went through like uh, four different outfit changes for the thing when people don't really even see you. So I respect you know, it, bro. Just so I could have the uh, the proper mentality. Well, yeah. shit. Like, how was the last conversation you had with Fidel? Because you just on fire right <laughs> now. I love Fidel, man. Shit. It's you know? lit. Yeah. Mark, you... It's crazy because, like, listening to your music, like, I truly feel like, and we've had this conversation, I feel like you're one of those very few artists that genuinely gives himself in his songs, right? You haven't, like, I'm a very, like, I love music, and to me, I grew up on Pac, and, and growing up on Pac, for me, the pen was always the most important aspect of music. And you start to realize that the pen tells so much because it's literally a regurgitation of experiences and moments and feelings. And your music and just your craft in and of itself speaks volumes of that in my eyes, right? Naturally, we know as artists, it's a constant struggle to struggle and and just like journey to really find that voice. Um, And the beauty of your story, which we'll get in there, is that there are moments in which, you know, it was questioning what that voice was. But I want to take it back to your early early days in the Bay and really talk about the upbringing and like the home that you grew up in and how it was like for you in the Bay and, and what the Bay was like in that time. So let's just like take him right there in this <laughs> motherfucker right now. Um, okay. Well, I was born in San Francisco. I have, um, you know, to a beautiful... Um, couple, my parents, and <clears throat> I think like San, growing up in San Francisco when I was really little, I moved probably like every year of my life. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So I got to live in six or seven different neighborhoods in San Francisco. Wow, what was that like for you? That was the best. Like I really, um, I was very fortunate because both of my parents were 
very uh, capable, smart, and on their way to greatness. Mm. But when I was born, they weren't really there yet. Mm. Yeah. So mm. I kind of, sometimes I feel like where my mom was at when she had me was like where I'm at almost now. Wow. wow. Like she really, uh, you know, she had a clothing store called East Coast Girls that was in San Francisco. Okay. And uh, she like had me and like went to work like two days later with me. There was never like a, a what do you call it? When uh, like maternity leave, she didn't like yeah. do anything like that. So I was always like the little kid with the like young mom. Yeah. Just who was really like about her business and um That's incredible. On her way to, you know, becoming a successful entrepreneur, which didn't happen until much, much later, but sure. I was around a lot of energy when I was little. And my parents uh divorced when I was a little kid, two years old. I don't even remember them okay. being together, but everything was very San Francisco centric for me growing up. It was like we went to events and you know how it is like we're at the age now you have friends with children yeah and you have like we're teetering on that edge of like people still go out people still enjoy themselves um barbecues go see movies do fun shit and there's always like someone might have a kid and that's good too yeah, yeah. that's like the little kid that i was so i was around a lot of a lot of art filmmakers um just like young, like '90s San Francisco people, yeah, straight <laughs> who up, are, who are really into that. Um, you were around a lot of groovy people. I was around a lot of groovy people, straight you know? up. And that yeah. was a scene in the '90s, like San Francisco. No, yeah, it really, really was. Like if you think about it, San Francisco and the Bay Area. It's interesting. Like they just had the Vice. Did you see the Vice Bay Area? Thing? No. Oh, oh yes, okay. with Jeezy and yeah, E40 like Jeezy and Neff and. When people think of the Bay, it's funny because musically they just think of like E40. This is the shit I grew up on though, was Bay Area rap. Yeah. But really, like Green Day and <laughs> Third Eye Blind and like there's yeah. a lot of huge actually like Yes. Well not that E forty is not huge. He obviously yeah. no, that's actually but there was my a shit. Of no, music. but yeah, that's but, like actually well, Yeah, and the thing was like in the late eighties, early nineties, like the uh punk scene in San Francisco. Yeah, like, like San Francisco was hardcore at like, a time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like when Drum, I grew Drummore up street and shit. Yeah, yeah. That's where, where I lived and that's what everything was. Like my mom had uh, started a company that had a warehouse in this area called Dog Patch, which is on Third Street. <coughs> and it was like she had her company in a warehouse next to like where bands would be at. Wow. Like where, you know, so stuff. So I was always, um, and my stepdad also, he uh, he owned a clothing company that outfitted like punk rock bands and um, so al you were alternative just sports. So I was just around a lot of, like I didn't uh, take it any type of way, obviously, because I was a baby and, you know, you see what you see. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything to you yet. But that's really how I grew up. And a lot of musicians, like I said, like filmmakers even. And I've been thinking about that more and more looking back. That I went to like an alternative school. You know, it's called Waldorf School. Mm -hmm. Big Sean went there also. Oh, really? When I used to run up on him, <laughs> I'd be like, hey. Hey, Sean, we went to the same uh, school. He'd be like, Shh, don't talk about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, I've heard him in interviews and stuff talk about we We really did go to the same school. It's like an alternative school where you learn how to, like, knit and crochet and cross. Really? Right, music. Before you even, like, 
they actually push it on you. Like you don't learn how to read till like the second or third grade. So it's like a Montessori for the arts type of deal. It's a lot like Montessori is very, I think, very specific to like each child learning at their own pace, mm-hmm. which is not the point of Waldorf school. But Waldorf school is all about um, creativity and. Uh, like, for example, you can't wear any clothing with any branding on it. You can't watch TV. You have to sign a contract that you won't watch TV. Really? Yeah. So it's weird. It's crazy. That's wild. So when I was little, I, I lived, you know, on the other side of the city. I lived in this place. Uh, it's called Petrel Hill. It's probably, like, the most expensive place to live nowadays. But back yeah. then, it wasn't like that at all. Sure. And so my, uh, my like, local school was insane. Like, kids were, like, Getting shot in like fifth grade. <laughs> Shout out Dan, Daniel Webster Elementary School. Wow, twentieth in Texas. But oh that's God. where I, I really, uh, you know, when I was little, that's where I was. And how was that experience for you? Looking back on it now, like just that, even. Uh, well, I, I kind of always had a chip on my shoulder because I was really proud of that. You know, because we were just. I was just talking about this earlier uh, with Mac, uh, not pictured, but. Say for, yeah, yeah, the man behind uh, the no, lens, yeah, bro. I, I definitely, um, you know, I uh, I loved the fact that I lived somewhere that was just very diverse and energetic, mm. and music was playing from everywhere, and I loved that. But then I went to like the weird alternative school over here, and then when I moved. You know, in like eighth grade for high school, when I moved to the suburbs and my family um, became like more successful, kind of the older I got. So I kind of grew with my family, but it was always my mom, my aunt Leslie and my aunt Karen. We all lived together. Got it. And then my dad was on the other side and I live with my dad, too. And we, you know, I went back and forth. My parents had a very amicable divorce and got it it was just kind of it was really good and wholesome and it was like my both of my parents come from crazy shit not me so Mm. they kind of always like they understood that the most important things in life is like well-being yeah not not like where you stand yeah so that was always pressed on me like it's okay you know when i had the choice to go to like the you know the school where like the lawyers kids go to school and the doctors kids go to school or like the weird hippie school even my dad who was a lawyer he was like nah you're good like go to the hippie school and mm. learn about because they were going to teach you the values in the home yeah yeah so i never it was never like success you know status oriented it was always about you know how do you feel as a person and i had a real fucking san francisco granola ass upbringing in a way but it was always like you know but we lived in patrol hill like it was damn near the hood when i was little so it was a good balance and i was at the boys club playing basketball and so i was like it was kind of the best scenario that you could hope to be in yeah my opinion like if i had a child now that's how i'd want to raise them like i'm not taking them to malibu like to go you know i want i want any diversity related to yeah i want people to realize what people have to go through and learn about. And there's so much intelligence in places where people don't expect it, you know? Mm. And uh, I was raised around a lot of that. So I was always appreciative of that. And, you know, little little Mark in San Francisco was all about Tupac. 
Barry, Barry Bonds. Straight and, up. Uh, <laughs> basketball was all about Tim Hardaway. Yeah. And Latrell Sprewell. Yeah. yeah. My first favorite person on earth. Yeah. Number 15. He was an all-star one year. And, uh, you know, I was just like a little shit-kicking little bastard. I don't know. I just, Incredible. I just, listened, I just listened to E-40, Mac Mall, early Mac Dre, before the whole... Before Mac Dre was popping, even when I was like eight years old, uh, I just listened to Bay Area rap and as wild dog. Cause I I grew up in Cupertino. Oh right? yeah, see there you go, same and, thing. Yeah, <laughs> but like it was wild for me because I naturally I had like the Persian parents that were on the tip of like unless you do shit. It, it's not that it's not that, but like they tried, but they also knew like my my mom was really stern and my dad was like really calm. And my mom was like the, no, you can't watch MTV and this, that, the other. But I'd go to my boy Daniel's house. What up, Daniel Vakella? Um, <laughs> and like watch like the Beavis and Butthead and the music videos and all that. And my my neighbor growing up when I was little was like 10 years older than me. So he was always like, I idolized him. He was like the cool cat. And we'd be rolling around in his, in his BMW like, he'd be bumping Pac. So like it's crazy how association really kind of develops you because I was a young kid that really loved Pac, but it was because of my neighbor. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not that I found him, but then you build an affinity. And it's wild because I remember vividly when I was in like the first grade, I go and tell my boys like, dog, I just heard this song, hit him up. It has hella cuss words in it. Like I, was, I wasn't knowing what Pac was saying then, but I was like, this is just so dope. It's so different. And then as you get older, you kind of get to appreciate it and whatnot. Um, but it's crazy to see how the Bay has changed as time has gone on. Yeah. Um, with you going to that alternative school, how long were you in that type of educational environment? Was it all the way through high no, school? No, or was no, no. It? I was only there until maybe like I was 12. Okay. But that's the perfect time, I think, because... I started maybe when I was like five. The more people will study and learn, like early childhood education becomes like something that's vastly important that people have always not really thought about. Because you know, when you when you have a kid and then you have to like go to work, it's like you just kind of throw them wherever. You don't mm -hmm. think, you don't realize how uh, how intensely they're soaking everything in. Yes, especially during that time. Yeah, but my mom and, and my dad, they were both like very aware of that. I mean, my both of my parents, shit, if this is where we're gonna, you know, if this is where we're at in this podcast. This is where we're going, My though. parents were really, yep. I'm very proud, like, of my parents because uh, they were so forward amazing. thinking. And my mom, you know, even like we went to like the farmer's market and she was organic and did mm. yoga. And my mom is, has been like a practicing Zen Buddhist for over 30 years before, before any of that was cool. Out of, yeah. out of, out of necessity. You know? Yeah. Because she had a really uh, crazy life and wow. she she really gravitated, gravitated towards things that made her feel better. And then yes. enabled her to like do everything she had to do, which was a lot. And uh, that's wild that coming up from whatever that like crazy upbringing was yeah. instead of it being like fuck the world no she's it was my like, mom's I'm like a real g like mm. she really and my i mean it comes it's a long lineage i'm very blessed yeah, yeah. you got a lineage yeah. of g's then, i huh? really do yeah and, and my dad was too and um so they they kind of knew this is why people came to san francisco like everyone we're not from san francisco very yeah. like there's like some irish in Italian, like, like a, there is like an immigrant 
history, yeah, yeah, yeah. community like of San Francisco, like lineage. Kind of whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my wave of San Franciscans is all like struggling, uh, struggling, you know, East Coast people. They came, they came to San Francisco yeah. for the reason of. I mean, think about what San Francisco was in the '60s. This well, during gay like, rights. It's where like a lot of really. It's the most progressive fucking city that there is in the United States, and that's where my mom and my dad was from North Carolina. And my mom is from Pittsburgh. So if you ever if you've yeah, ever how, been to how Pittsburgh, they meet, how they meet locally? Well, they met in New York. Uh, my dad was a my dad was a lawyer, and my mom was a fashion uh, person. She was a a merchandiser. My mom was really, I mean, we could do a whole podcast about my mom. I should damn to tell my mom to come here, but my mom, my mom was really a- I'd love to have your mother on the <laughs> Mama, mama we met. Mama, dear we're, mama. We're gonna, do a, we're gonna do a month of just moms. Oh, that'd be so fucking lit. Yeah, just moms. Remember that. But For no, Mother's but, Day. Yeah. but my mom really, she was in New York and she, uh, she was really close friends with like Tommy Hilfiger, like uh, Paul oh, wow. Pressler, who owns a uh, J Crew, like wow. a lot of big fashion people. And she was a merchandiser, and you know she was in her twenties, going to uh, India like three or four times a year. And uh, that's who she was. But when she got pregnant, she was like, "I don't want to be in the New York hustle and bustle. Mm-hmm. I want to live in San Francisco. That's like that's the next wave, kind of." So she. She was like, "This is where I'm setting up shop to have my family," and that's what we did. And what's, um, what's crazy is like so many like San Francisco is so much full of the East Coast culture. Like everyone went there for Hate Ashbury. Like the whole yeah. they came out of Woodstock and literally like my uncle has a story from just hitchhiking across the country going to San Francisco. And my dad that has the exact same. Exact. My dad yeah. came from North Carolina, and hitchhiked across. Like all the way, we got to see the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, wow. if you think about it, before a social media era, before cell phones, there was like this golden, crazy city where people in their minds, they only heard about it. So yeah. they were like, people are just fucking each other in the street and doing <laughs> LSD. Yeah. And like, they had this image of a place that was really dominated by hippie culture, the fucking hippie progressive utopia. ideals. Yeah. So people wanted to go. And even. People like my parents who weren't all the way like that, they knew that it's not an accident that that's where, so that's the richest zip code in the fucking world. Now. Yeah. It's not an accident. You know, it's like, Straight that's where up. Silicon Valley, that's where Facebook, all these places are is, is because, yeah, it came from the most free, open-minded people. Mm-hmm. And it's mm. like, I mean, you heard like Steve Jobs talk about doing mushrooms and even like Zen Buddhism, which is a big part of my life because of my mom. Got it. Uh, it came from Japan to San Francisco. Wow. Uh, so like the first, um, the first like major, well, I don't need to get too like into Buddhism. Bro, but, come on, let's go. But no, but we're here. What you talking his about? name is uh, Suzuki Roshi. He's like this, was a teacher from Japan, came to San Francisco and started the San Francisco Zen Center. And that was the first one in America. And that's like, that's the kind of thing that my mom, my parents were interested in. And my dad was actually a corporate attorney. But he was a very interesting. He was into that also. You know, he, he was kind of torn between like, um, you know, he had a thick country 
North Carolina accent. Yeah. And uh, it was all about like just getting money and making sure that, you know, your family is straight. But at the same time, like what is going on? So I don't even think about how uh, drastic it would be for him to have moved to San Francisco. But I think about it now, like, because he did it at this age that I am now. Wow. And it's like, the, where would I go? Like, yeah. for me to do something, that'd be like me moving to Berlin now or moving yes. to somewhere that is just like taking a chance. Completely foreign. Completely foreign. Like, yeah. going from North Carolina to San Francisco, that's unheard of. How, how is that. it like for you? And, like, it, it's beautiful for me to see this kind of dichotomy because... You had these forward-thinking parents. Your mom was like this creative soul mm -hmm. that hunkered down when she had little Mark, right? Yeah. It wasn't, <laughs> it's, it, no, but it's crazy to think of, like when we talk about the city that they gravitated towards, right? It's like San Francisco is where openness, opportunity, but also forward-thinking happens, mm -hmm. right? So you went, we went from like, hey, Ashbury hippie shit to like the biggest tech boom on, on planet Earth. Yeah. And I feel like that, in and of itself, just like the city in and of itself kind of mirrors the paradigms in which you were brought up in because you have this mom that was literally like in the hub of fashion and literally close with every top dog in the game when yeah. you look at it now. Then you have your dad who was just city slicker, right? Country mm -hmm. city slicker, mm -hmm. right? Boss hog corporate attorney. Right, that met this woman, and both of them like found such intrigue in the opposites, if you will. Yeah. And then when it came down to like, okay, they had a seed. Both of them took just responsibility of the seed. Like it became okay. Now we're moving. Like I think that 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 just responsibility in the seed, bro. Yeah. For real, right? That's them. That's and then really, yeah. and then the beautiful thing is, is because I like look, I have I have parents that were incredible parents, but horrible spouses. Now they're best friends. I divorced them when they were 16. They both remarried and all happy, but I began to see that my parents just couldn't communicate with each other, but their lives were about me. And even as little as I was, I may have not realized that like explicitly then, but looking back at it now, implicitly it was that, but looking back at it now explicitly, you could just tell when parents like devote their lives and their decisions to their seed. Like we're dealing in a day and age now where people are having kids, like dad's like, oh. Forever it's probably it's, been it's like, like that. like, oh yeah, I got a chicky pregnant at the club, like I don't need that, but it's like, bro, you had a choice to strap the fuck up or not, like stop being a clown. You have a human being in this world now, get your shit together and fucking take care of it. It doesn't matter if you and the chicky don't get together, it doesn't matter if it was a thought that you just happened to like pop off on and your pullout game was really fucking weak, right? <laughs> Right? You, 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 you have a child, a human being now. Right? You have a child, yeah. But going back to the point is your parents split up when, when you were two. But you all also have this like essence of both of these parents that they were so involved in your life and they were very amicable. Like you could just tell. Yeah. How was that for you growing up in that environment and kind of looking back at it now, looking at like their interaction, like what did that mean to you? And like, I want to say really form just like your explorative mind in, because in, I feel like a lot of what you speak about now really goes into, you know, the depths of relationships, whether it be casual or very like firm and, and, and solidified, you know what I'm saying? And how was that for you growing up in that type of environment? Because your mind is very progressive. 
and yeah. and growing up in that like it, it it just shows that your parents your creators had such an impact along with the city you know what i'm saying i think one thing that i really um appreciate more the older i get is that um to make a relationship really work and no matter what it is it really i fucking hate to say this bro say it but it's like it's a it really has a lot to do with sacrifice you better fucking believe it i was gonna say that word if you didn't you best believe that it really uh i think about it a lot now because i'm you know i'm growing up yeah (laughs) i'm i i consider myself an adult now Maybe like just in the past six months. Or <laughs> Respect. Hey, but, uh, hold on, hold on, everybody. Cheers. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's first let's get the the, the all around claps for it. Mark has been an adult now. Mazel tov. Congratulations it and welcome to adulthood. Took me a really adulthood. long time. It took me a really long Shit, time. It takes us all a long yeah, time. But I I really do. Uh, I think every generation people don't realize how lucky we are. Mm. You know, they really don't, and they don't see. You know, our parents had to sacrifice more than we did. Yeah. Their parents had to sacrifice so much that they don't even <laughs> fucking like unfathomable. Yeah, bro. like all they did was like beat our parents and like my grandparents. Well, I don't want to like speak badly on them, but it's just a reality. It's like our grandparents. Some of them like grew up during like the Great Depression. Straight shit, up, so bro. their whole their whole concept is all sacrifice. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then our parents had that you know, ingrained in them also. And for us now, you know, the, the children of the baby boom generation and then even the younger ones. The millennials. The millennials. What well, I don't yeah, I don't know how it all breaks down, but it's wild. Like yeah, it's now wild. now we had like the school cafeteria wanting to be spoon fed the shitty yeah, ass yeah, egg rolls like that they're be giving us. They're doing bad. I don't know about them. <laughs> but no, I think about that a lot and I really do I look at it as like, you know, you get bored fucking the same person after two years or something like it always hits that point yeah where it's like are you willing to sacrifice for the next people absolutely and so my parents definitely did that and that's not easy to do so you know i appreciate that and and, uh the complexity and the nuance of being cool and being in a relationship with someone even after you don't want to sleep with them anymore or you yeah. know, you're not in love with them anymore. Yeah. You know, when the chemicals are drained and it's about something bigger, um, that's very special. That's the most, that's real, you know, because like best, best friends, that's what it's all about. You know, yeah, like absolutely. your homies that you really been best friends with for 10, 15 years. And then when you get older, they're still there with you. Yeah. It, it taps into something that's like, that's the deepest part. There's no more chemical attraction. There's no more, uh, just like what can I get out of this person? Yeah. Am I cool hanging out with yeah. them? It's just like I love. That's love, you know. So my my parents always showed me that, and they definitely like fought and everybody had, had all their shit, but they always kept it away from me. And I, my dad passed away when I was thirteen. So mm. so my uh, watching that like process happen. What was it? Was it cancer? Yeah, my yeah, he died of cancer. And, uh, <sighs> fuck cancer. Yeah, f- fucking a. And he was a real. He was like a real boss. Also, you know, he was like he was a patriarch just as much as my mom is and was a matriarch. <laughs> you had a so, king and a queen, like literally. I really did. Yeah, I really did. And when he got sick, like my mom, it was like they were married. You know, it mm. wasn't ever. Even though my my dad is remarried, I love my stepmom. Mm-hmm. Her name's Carol. She's one of the greatest 
Carol. Uh, Shout out to Carol. There, yeah, well, she's one of the greatest women um, that I've ever known and been around. And like her loyalty mm. to my dad and my other, uh, <coughs> my brother and sister is immense. And you know, the her sacrifice is yeah. fucking, you know, insane. Um, but it always kind of came back to that, like family thing and it's like what you said like respect to see <laughs> like uh you know my mom was always right there and so through that whole process when my dad got sick which is when i was maybe like 11 or 12 mm. until when he passed away when i was 13 i knew we were gonna come come to this part at some point. i mean shit we better have i, uh, I don't know yeah. we skipping the, what, like 11 to 17 yeah um so it was really like that kind of traumatic experience Especially from someone who never like was sick or, mm. you know, my dad was like a very man's man type guy. So yeah. like, when this thing happened, it was kind of a shock to everybody. And it ripples through like a whole community because my mom has two sisters. My dad has two brothers. So even that's like six people, all their husbands, wives, children of all those people. My dad, I mean, just to speak bluntly, like he was the one with the money at first. So it yeah. was like when the when like the man who was. He was taking care of everybody in a certain way or another, including my mom or who, you know, like if I had to go to the hippie, like alternative school, I still cost like 10 grand a year. All that kind of stuff. All yeah. From my dad. He was able to support. Yeah. That. He, yeah. he supported everything. So when he got sick and then it was like, holy shit, like this is about to not exist, you know, anymore. It took a lot of um, it took a lot of just like getting past all your shit from everyone in my family and really being together and just acknowledging that these relationships, even though they, uh, they might change, they, they're the most important thing. So Mm. even my parents, you know, like when my dad was really sick, uh, him, my mom, my stepdad, you know, like everyone was together. Together. Yeah. Yeah. And my dad would even tell me like this guy, your stepdad that your mom is with now, he's good. For real. <laughs> Last, her wow. boyfriend after me, you know, he, I didn't fuck with him. Yeah. That's uh, a real G, though. Yeah, you no, yeah, he was for like, real. He, he, didn't, he didn't approve of a, like a lot of the other guys, but he was like the one Because he genuinely you know, loved your mom. Yeah, he really did. He for really, better or yeah, for worse, yeah. whether they could be together or not, like he just wanted to see her happy. And he's a boss hog where it's like, bro, get, really, get that whack motherfucker out of here. No, it's he probably really calling her like, what you doing with that lame right there? Well, it's funny. Get that bitch out. Get that bitch away from my son. But he did for sure. But the one that he chose, who was my, my stepdad, who was also my dad, you know, his name's mm. Brad, Bradley. What's and, up, Bradley? Uh, Bradley. And he's, you know, now he is, I mean, he's an unbelievable, an incredibly, um, just like down to earth, progressive, and and he's really successful. Awesome. Know? And my parents, him and my mom, are not together either. <laughs> wow. So nobody, there's literally not one sustained like marriage in my family. Yeah. But there's a lot of love between everybody. All of that is kind of it is like where I draw all of my inspiration from because it's a really um, interesting and also hard to deal with. You know, in like a not hard to deal with, like what my parents had to deal with. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting concept that you can be in love with somebody, not be with them anymore. Yeah, you know, and I like mean, what I, do you do when that really happens? And then when something becomes greater than just like you 
your possession over another person or your uh i mean we all know like it's easier when you break up with someone for you know in general to just be like i never want to talk to that person yeah so i can like move on but what do you do when you have children you have money together you have all this type of stuff and my family that's something like like to bring it back to san francisco like only in a city like that that's like where that really works because the ideals of the city, you know, the the hippie movement, all that stuff, it kind of trains you like, no, it's all good. Yeah. Like, there's something more important than you being with that woman and her not yeah. being with anyone else. It's, or, wi- it's wild, and sorry to cut you off, but it's wild to touch on that point. And then I want to bring it back to, to that time with your pops. But since we're kind of like yeah. twerculating on these both similar paths because yeah. it leads into the other... But it's wild when you think about that concept, right? Because, like, even coming from me where I saw my parents just together for me, but then I'm like, y'all don't realize I'm good? Like, you raised a great son. Now, get the fuck and find your happiness. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want this anymore, right? But at the same time, even bringing it back to kind of like that, that struggle between a relationship, whether it's friendly or intimate, it's like, I really think that, which even ties into the point of San Francisco and just the mindset of that city and that era, is that so many people were doing these drugs and, 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 and these outer body experiences or these bigger than us like principles that were kind of guiding our search was coming down to who we are and what we believe. Because let's take all the chemicals and all the like pheromones that go off when you have oysters and you go bucket chicky. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking like, love cool. oysters, right? <laughs> you know I mean? Aphrodisiac king right here. But at the same time, it's like, I truly feel like that the closer that we get to being at one with ourselves is the closer we are to accepting whether our high school sweetheart whether we're with her or not or are these relationships that we have the more that we understand ourselves i feel like a lot of people especially in this game that we're in today right and especially it's wild for me to like now digest that like seeing how pivotal these relationship scenarios and life scenarios intertwine into the effect of into the effect and and like uh I guess like cause and effect of these relationships and also you being in a different position because you grew up in that. You're also a very good looking human being, right? And mind you, I'm not like compartmentalizing. <laughs> oh, thank you. But you're a very good looking human being and you're a creator and you're also like a very like warm soul because you grew up that way. Like your base is good. Like I, I feel like I just see it like more, it's like a hologram right now because it's like your base is good you're going to do good and you also battle yourself we all do right and in in the speak of relationships i feel like what allows our parents to be able to do that and that to be honest like i feel like i've gotten there quicker than them but going through what they went through like i see it different yeah because we've all gone through those relationships and with me i got i went through my worst one in in college where i realized i just wasn't being me anymore and for me now it's like i don't need to cheat on a girl because i don't it doesn't bother me nor am i uh reserved about saying this just isn't working like i don't care what the emotional response is i don't care what the plea is any of that if it's not working for me that doesn't mean that i hate you it just means that i know that 
if I want to go explore, even if it's non-sexual, if I just feel like we're not growing together, I feel like what really like hinders a lot of us is just the fear of, oh, fuck, I don't want to hurt their hurt feelings. feelings. That's, but that's like the, the, the little bitch fucking Augustus gloop in us that just wants chocolate and wants to eat it too. That's just like, I'm going to hurt the feelings. Yep. All that shit, right? Yeah, but... but that, yeah. Go ahead. Don't let me. I mean, that's been like my biggest struggle, okay. which is hella weird. Like, I remember... Like... <laughs> in high school I was like I'm gonna break up With my girlfriend Today <laughs> <laughs> and This I, motherfucker Got out the shower was like, And was like You know what No no <laughs> I was like 16 I was like I think it's time for me To break up with my girlfriend Now We don't You know We don't need to Keep doing this Yeah And I went in To school And Miss Sharf uh, The hottest Fucking social studies teacher of all time. <laughs> she she like played it up big. I feel I, you, really. She was so bad. She would wear like she would Ms. wear like, zebra print. Oh, like, she was an asshole. She was like the the like white lady with the huge ass, uh. skinny waist, huge titties, and like smart as fuck. Like I she feel was you. amazing. And and didn't even care that she was that, but like she had to show. So she was just the ideal educator in more ways than one. Yeah. So I went to school. I'm like Miss Sharp. Like I loved her to death. So I would like try to. I would try to talk to her about personal issues. She's like Mark. (laughs) If you break up with your girlfriend today, you know, like you have to actually break up with her. You can't do like the in between because you don't want to hurt her. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. for sure. So I was like, okay, whatever. Didn't pay attention to that. (laughs) So I go to break up with my girlfriend. And then she just started like crying her eyes out. And I was like, like I'm kidding. Like, oh I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kidding. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know that that would be like, oh. that that would be a thing. Like I, I thought that she would be like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. we we'll break up. Like, yeah, this is not like, this is natural, but no, it's for funny sure. I've had no, many women yeah. in my life tell me like, you would be better off if, if you didn't worry about how other people feel because yeah. you don't end up really caring about their feelings you, anyways. You know what's wild? I feel such an attachment to you in that regard because I was like that, right? And I was always like, fuck, I got to take care of every, how everybody else feels. But when we realize, I got you, dog, it's clockwork. Wow. <laughs> but when you realize, when you realize that, dog, like, and, and it's even like, damn, I'm just like, I'm going to tangent and come back in. But, even even in, in, in your in your scene now, like with music as a creator, like ultimately you want everybody to come up and win. You want everybody that's with you, that's been day one with you to come up and win. But the truality of life is is that some people will not grow as fast, right? And it's not our duty to help everybody come up. If you're coming up with somebody that's that. Because at the end of the day, the only way we can really make the biggest and the greatest impact that we want is if we've fully realized and actualized ourselves. ourselves yeah. and, that, and, and we cannot do that with the group. The only way that really happens with those groups is when everybody has that same mission or at least is like the fucking lot of it in them to try it. And then when, they, when it's time to step up, they step up. Because even in music... Like, so many artists want that shot. 
want that fucking like a dog. I just want to make it. I just know if I get 10,000 people at this show, like it's going to be on, right? But what people forget to realize is sometimes that shot will end your career because you're not ready for it, right? And even when it comes to this relationship shit, like the moment that, you know, in high school we go through, the beauty of life is we go through these things and we learn, right? And you also know that you have a very like deep, sincere attachment to the nuances of relationships in multiple different ways, which is now seen by the upbringing, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's wild for me because I was like that and then, that girl in college happened and she was like, literally, like I'm talking a relationship where it was literally like complete, like Mount St. Helens erupting fucking off the chain or like, how are you gonna break out of this coffin that you're dug in the ground in? Like it was high and low to the maximum. And then one day it really hit me like, fuck it, like it's done. And then after that, it's like, you even take it for example, like even, it was throw a fuck buddy in the mix. You have a girl that's like, yo, like, I just want to, like, be cool. Like, when a girl's telling you that as a dude that's single, you're kind of like, oh, shit, well, fuck, <laughs> if I fuck with you, then let's, let's rock. Like, cool, no, no, it's all right, word, right? But I'm also not stupid <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm also not stupid enough to think that, like, once we really get to it, and I'm a nasty motherfucker, but I'm safe with my shit, but, like, once we get to it, the feelings won't be had. Right? I'm not going to blame you for that. I'm not going to be the dude at the club like, what's up, shorty? And she's like, doesn't know you. And she's like, uh. And then the guy, the random guy with the huge, well, fuck you anyways, bitch. Like, who the fuck are you? Like, what's the point of that? Right? But this girl literally one time told me straight up, she's like, yo, I have this guy. And we were, when you're honest with yourself and with people, life just becomes easy. Right? Because it's like, I was very honest. I was like, cool, like, let's run it. Like, all That's good. adulthood. Adulthood, six yeah. months in. Yeah, yeah. Let's six rock. <laughs> let's go. Welcome. Oh, Welcome yeah. to the table. <laughs> but so she literally told me, she was like, look, like, I have this guy that's like taking me out on dates and shit. Like, why don't you take me out on dates? And I didn't get like uh, offended. I was like, because this is where we are. That's what we spoke about. And she literally, on her thugness, was like, well, if you're not going to do that, then we're gonna have to end this. And that's because women go through adulthood I way you. faster. But look, oh, no, yeah. but look, hey, but look, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad <laughs> that I, sure they do. but I'm glad I'd been an adult then because I looked at her straight up and I said, well, it was fun while it lasted, well, wasn't yeah, it's it? All good, man. Yeah. And she was like, what? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, fine. And I was like, we'll have a beautiful that probably evening. probably extended it for a few more uh, I mean, well, she called me like six months later, and we got it cracking again. It's not a, it doesn't, and then repeat. It doesn't. Repeat. <laughs> Yo, you know what? But, go ahead. No, no but. Go, go, go. Go ahead. I was going to. I was just saying, but like, you know what's crazy, though, is like, so I'm, I'm about to get married. And so I'm on the opposite side. Hey, hold on. Everybody, are you ready? And he proposed and it was lit. Hold on. Everybody, round of applause for Joe. (laughs) So when you talk about adulthood and just like when you fucking propose to someone like Mind you, six years, my G. They've been dating. Yeah, I've been with her for six years, and mind you, Year one was like, oh, well, yeah, oh, she's not my girlfriend yet. Like, it was like that. <laughs> it was like, it was like, and it was, it was terrible because a lot of it was just fear for me. Like, I was, I'm like, I was constantly in long-term relationships, and finally I was single, and I was enjoying being single, then got right back into a relationship, and I was rebelling against the whole thing. But 
fast forward, look, six years, you're with somebody. And I mean, being with someone for six years, like a lot of the things you talked about fade, right? Like and you just try to find new ways to like love somebody, try to find new ways to find different attractions. Sometimes it's just like certain things they say, like turn you on versus, you know, or maybe they just wear something that looks good or they cook you a really good You're meal. You're so fucking cute, dog. I'm I just wanna, telling you. I just want to hug you right now, I'm dog. I'm just telling you. you on the cheek, you right? You feel no, me straight I, up. I, I'm saying this objectively that. <laughs> I'm glad you back, are. Back, back to like the different ways you can like be attracted to someone. Yeah. But you could be with someone for a long time. And, you know, I think it's natural to be in a relationship to you th- always think about especially if, if you're not com- super committed, like marriage style, to think about, you know, do I go be in another relationship? Do I end this? Do I still experiment? Do I find new experiences? Do I stay with this person? All those things, I think, naturally happen. But I'll tell you about adulthood, man. When you propose, shit gets very real. Can I tell and it is very different. I'm not at that. No, you're not there. Not. But <laughs> but look, can I tell you something really fast, though? The, the moment after he proposed... And it's crazy because he called me freaking out and we had this little conversation of thugness. But the moment <laughs> the moment after he proposed, dog, this motherfucker became the straight OG of all OGs. Like, I thought he really changed. I was like, damn, bro, bro could you have, could you have like, not proposed like, sooner, dog? Bro, Wait. I had, like, more hair on me. I fucking just, like, like Hercules. I just man No, style. I feel you. And, and, you know, my manager, Josh, that's like... The reason that I, one of the reasons, but maybe the most important reason that I always trusted him, he, that's Josh Palomino, he, that, that's the manager Shut of Marky Basie. And uh, one of the reasons that I always felt like so comfortable and trusted him is because his life at home was so solid. Mm-hmm. Like his woman, Moki. What's up, Moki? Margaret, Margaret Kelly, she's... Unbelievable. Awesome. Beautiful. So intelligent. She, she, um, she's a teacher. I mean, she's a shit. And it's like, you know, when you, uh, he was a young, like he was young to do that. Yeah. You know, cause he'd been through fucking all types of, I mean, crazy shit. I could talk about, I could talk about Josh. So we getting your mom on the podcast and Josh on the podcast. I mean, no, but for real though, Josh is, is, uh, a very, very special human being who was raised in just crazy circumstances. And he knew, cause, because when you're, when you're really raised, like he wasn't raised like me, you know, when, when you have, that's the funny part, is like when you have beautiful parenting, then you and yourself feel confident. Yes, and good. very much When you're so. raised in really tumultuous parenting mm. and crazy shit, it's like, you gotta find you gotta a real find woman. It. Yes, you gotta you, you gotta find the real first. you first. Yeah, though, yeah. Dog. And but that that has a lot to do with finding love and, yeah. and like finding something that you can trust. Mm. And oh. I don't need that because I have because I was raised like me and me and my mom and my aunt Karen and my aunt Leslie and Zoe, Sasha, Emma, Anna, Will, <laughs> Jake. These are like my cousins and my brothers and sisters. It's like we're so good and we're so tired that finding things outside of my own immediate family. And when I say immediate family, I mean like my aunties are my, they're like my mothers also. Like we all lived in the same house. Like I didn't say all that, but we all lived together for so long. 
it's harder to like step outside. But when yes. you don't have that, you know, then it's like, is what is find that? that. Yeah, yeah. See, that like, was the, uh, that's exactly what it was like for me, dude. One hundred percent, because I didn't have that growing up. Yeah, and so like that's actually one of the most attractive things uh, about my chick is that there's so much stability and so much trust in that and it feels like i'm never gonna wake up with like anxiety or anything like that mm. and that's like actually becomes like an emotional and physical attraction it's wild but 100 percent. and was also crazy with you it's so awesome to hear you say that not only did i have uh like a lot of fighting a lot of craziness um also my dad died when i was 22 and was sick for a really long time but so when i one thing i was gonna ask you earlier was being like a son of a father yeah like i remember dealing with one of the one of the toughest things was oh shit this one male figure who no matter kind of like how fucked up they are you kind of always look up to your father like in my in my stance but you had a father who was like a dude to actually look up to the fact that you had so much stability around you did that help get you through that rough time Yeah, I mean, like, <clears throat> how was that for you? Also, I, I think losing? no, I think about this all the time because I feel, I feel like my uh, my friends who I grew up around who were with me in that time, they feel like I'm very uh, well adjusted, like, and sometimes I think like I am, but at the same time, I feel like I am only because my family. Like, they kind of gave me the, like, Strength. safety net, you know? But sometimes I feel like because the safety net was so strong, I never even thought about it. It was like, my stepdad was the one that told me that my my real dad had passed away. <sighs> and he, he, you know, he just, he picked me up from basketball camp. And he, he was like, I was like, what are we doing? Are we, we're supposed to go to this play. We were, I was supposed to go to like football camp yeah. after basketball. Yeah. Like I went to, I used to be like really, I was really good at basketball until like my lack of athleticism like really kicked in. <laughs> I mean, I was athletic, man. Hold on, hold on for the podcast. I was slapping the backboard, but I mean, we know, Dog, we I know what it my is. Vertical, you, my vertical is four inches, so yeah, let's no, be real. You were like, dunking tennis balls. We got No, it. like, I'm just saying, like, I, I, uh, yeah, like probably I was dunking tennis balls, you know, that's yeah. the type of athlete I was. And, I, um, I was right there. And like, I was really, but no, I was, I was balling in, um, I never had any pressure for like playing ball or nothing, but that was like from the time I was seven years old, I was one of like the best like young basketball players Got it. in awesome. my vicinity. So that's kind of how I always, um, that was my self-worth. Like that was everything mm. to me. Awesome. And the, like the level of dedication I had to that was just, this un- is actually, yo, this is I tight like- because basketball was my first thing. And the mm. reason that it was, is because music to me was very um music was just something that like floated around in the air that I never felt any connection to because I didn't know my parents didn't play instruments but yeah. they both listened to music intensely like uh we mentioned before I got on like Tracy Chapman was like me and my mom and my auntie's landlord for a while like wow. I was around music a lot Tracy Chapman was your Tracy landlord? Tracy Chapman, yeah, yeah. She was wild, she was dog. 
Did she have a Did she have a fast car then? Like yeah. what the? No, no, fuck? no, no, no. This is after. Yeah, oh, she had a dumb fast car. <laughs> so. But I'm just saying, like music wow. and my dad being from the south. That was definitely floating around. Yeah, in like the, air. Mu- the, the importance of music because this goes back to the whole San Francisco thing because it's like that whole the the whole um, migration from the East Coast to like going to San Francisco that a lot of like people that who were probably born in like the 50s or 60s went through when they came to San Francisco mm. it was all based around music I feel like it's the same thing now like people are probably moving to Atlanta yeah. because it's like that's the cultural yeah. musical hobbit straight up and so you know like Every if you want to do music, you have to go to Atlanta. You have to soak that up. Mm-hmm. You have to understand what's going on. And the Bay, like I'm from the Bay, whatever. Like I love the Bay more than Atlanta, more than anywhere in the world. I think that we're the best of all time. I could argue about that for hours. That's but why like, we. That's why we won't even bring up an argument. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. But like the fact is, I thought that the like the childish Gambino, the Donald Glover. Uh, Emmy's speech mm. like when he talked about <laughs> Atlanta was, mm-hmm. it's like that was that's, culture that's a kid who's so bright and so talented in so many uh, different avenues and he, yeah. he just recognizes he could do anything he's not yeah. from Atlanta that's not like a Atlanta ass you know no. he's not from Atlanta but he just knows <laughs> like it's all about Atlanta right now yeah. And it just is. And if you if you say it's not, it's like don't be And ridiculous. I think he's yeah. just a big fan of the culture. But that's what I'm saying. saying. So so I'm just saying, like, that's how our parents were. Yes. I feel like towards San Francisco. And it was the East Village maybe before that or something, but music literally brought my parents to the West Coast mm. from the East Coast. If wow. it wasn't for San Francisco and, and Janis Joplin and the Grateful Dead, you know, and like that's that's what my mom and my dad were really into. Wow, like, singer songwriter, like beautiful music. And the Doors, that's L.A. and like a lot of a lot of that. Um, not that there wasn't great music everywhere, but that's what brought them there. So, to my parents, which I didn't say in the beginning, like music was number one. Mm. Wow. And I think a lot of people from our parents' generation, music was number one, which is funny because you always look at your parents like they're squares. But now nowadays, number one is like who invented like Snapchat yeah. or like n- nowadays it's tech. Yeah. But for our parents, the musicians were like the geniuses. Yes. And that's only the poets. Yeah. yeah. The, the poets went into music at that time. And I think that that doesn't happen as much as it used to. But when it does, I mean, fuck, it still does in a yeah. different way. Straight but, up. But um. Like I, I early on in my music career, I got a chance to work with this cat Jerry Harrison from the Talking Heads, mm. and he was like my band, my first band, Two AM Club, which was called The Transfer. Before that, uh, the way that I like, the way that we got on at all was because I was playing like me and my band. This is before fucking. 
YouTube. I mean, yeah. not before, but like, like, right like when I first moved to LA to do music, we had to like go down the coast and play at all the like sororities, <laughs> like, like with guitars and like sing and shit. <laughs> Man, that's a tough tour, bro. I'm no, but I'm just saying, bro. No, it no, was yeah. tough, bro. People weren't <laughs> yeah. like, people weren't like, oh, you're famous you. and popping. They were like, sing. <laughs> you know I like you. i couldn't come in <laughs> like i had to go sing a song with my homie playing guitar there was nobody taking pictures of us yeah it, was it wasn't Instagram. like they knew you before like no, they was. were like yo like i saw the video of him He's yeah so- we there was nothing like we we followed no reputation. It was just I like feel you. we had to go in. There was this thing called like breakfast announcements or like lunch announcements or something. Like I don't even know what the in fuck the this shit was called. In the home. No, but for college, for like yeah. sororities yeah. and fraternities, yeah. it was like, okay, this is our sorority meeting. We have like six things, and then like some guys are gonna come sing. If we like them, we're gonna oh we're gonna book them at our like show. Oh that must have felt really special. Yeah. Oh so I'm saying, God. so we would like wait in line. Me and me and Matt. And we would go in, and he would, like, play a John Mayer song. <laughs> and I would sing it. And then we would sing, like, something else. And this is coming from a hip-hop kid <laughs> who didn't even listen to that type of music. But I could, like, sing along with it. And that's how we got gigs. And that's how we got on. So it was all, like, it, it was just different from yeah. how it is now, you know. But that's not to say that it's gotten worse Absolutely. at all. But, it, but I do think, like, for... For our parents, like, my mom really, like, her appreciation, how she feels about music, how she feels about James Taylor, The Grateful Dead, Tracy Chapman, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, like, Stevie Wonder. That's, like, to to her, even a woman who is really successful now, that's everything to her, you know, is the musicians that she grew up on. And I think... It probably actually. <laughs> it's the mama hour. The third time. The mama hour with Nushi. When I was young, yeah, my mama had me. 17 years old, kicked out on the streets. And back at the time. They could take my mama's place. There it is. There it was. No, you know what's crazy, dog? Like, I'm gonna tell you, and. My love and affinity for your mom grows every fucking second <laughs> you bring her up. You feel me? I want to let you know right now, one day, in whether it's the near or far future, I would love to sit down with your moms and literally just like chop it. Just, just, no, I, she'll, she'll you know be, what I mean? I'm, it's funny because like the, I'm such a every interview that I've ever done now in the past couple years, I like Mac attest to this like I, I talk about my mom all the time because she like gave me all the music That's like queen, she's not though. a musician she can't sing she probably thinks she can sing a little bit mama you I cannot sing you, you cannot, cannot sing, sing girl stop that I got that from my <laughs> I got that from my daddy but she really. Wait, your dad uh, can sing. Yeah, my dad can sing. Oh, like, that's real. Because it's the southern, like it's a southern thing, you know. The in the south. That's so true. In the south, in the south, they sing. My grand, actually, my mom's dad can sing though, and play piano. Shout out pop to the pop, males. Pop, pop, yeah, Shit. the men can sing, and my auntie can sing. It's it goes it, okay. whatever. But they really like the way that they appreciate music is on a level of like they trust. 
the musicians in their life mm. to kind of guide them. And so like back to the Jerry Harrison thing who was in the Talking Heads, it's like that's how I came up. Like that, I was fortunate enough that I knew his son and he listened to my music and he was like, you can come like do a session yeah. at our studio. And he had a... Uh, he had done a lot of. Um, are we talking about music yet? Is it music no, look, time? Look, I was gonna let you go, and then now that you stopped it, yeah, fine. You like how you like how I'm over here yeah. just like. Yeah, wait. I don't. I don't want to fuck this up. Bro. No, you're not oh, fucking yeah. shit up. No, that's a beautiful thing because we can bob and weave, and Joe and I are just so on it where we're like, okay, we'll let you go there, and then bring see, it right back. We see but, you. But now that, yeah, but yeah. now that, but now that we took it right back, I want to go back to you getting picked up from basketball before football, oh. right? Stepdad's in the whip. Okay. No, but look, hold on. I want to set the scene real quick. <laughs> I want to pull up, pick Marky up, and you over here. I'm in the driver's seat, and you like, yo, where we going to next? What's good? Can we actually go grab Subway real quick? <coughs> Can I cough my way out of this? Absolutely. I'm not even, even going to ask you the question until I think you're ready to just vocalize. You know what I mean? But look, what was that moment I'm like? Myself. I'm glad. What was that moment like for you hearing that you're... And actually, let me set this up by asking this. Did you feel that him passing away was inevitable? Or was it always a hope? That's question one. Okay. The answer to question one is, for some weird reason, 100% yes. From the second that my, my dad told me he was sick, I always had a feeling that that was going to be it. And uh, I never, you know, like your parents always try to tell you like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. But for some reason, I was always like, mom, like, stop. Like, what it's made not. You, what made you, you think that? I have yeah. no fucking idea, but I always felt like that. And I was just like, no, mom, like, don't tell me that because I already know. Like, this is not going to end well. Mm. And I mean... It's an obligation as a parent. Like you can't just tell a kid, like hope for the worst. Like, yeah, you have, you, you have yeah. to. Was it was it something about it where you just knew like he was just like super changed, or was it just the the moment that you heard it? You were like, like literally the day fun. that my dad told me he was sick. He had also moved. Like it was the day that we were driving to our new house, and I remember every single aspect of that moment. Like. I had just got at Bell Market. I had just bought like a in the coin machine. I had just got a little uh like necklace, like a San Francisco Giants like fake gold necklace. And I, I was always about Tupac also. <laughs> so Straight everything up. everything was like everything I ever wanted to do was like be like look like Pac someplace. So I had like this little fake like oh, gold yeah, yeah, thing on, yeah. and I just remember him telling me he was sick, but everything was gonna be okay. And I just remember like holding on to the little medallion that was like a San Francisco Giants medallion, mm -hmm. and I had like a little Warriors cap on, and I was just like, no, it's not. And I was a little kid, so it's weird that I always thought that, but I was always angry at my parents for ever telling me that anything was gonna be okay. Because Why? I I don't know. I was just like, what if it's like, don't say that. It's yeah. going to be okay. I know that you, I'm old enough to know that you don't know that. Got it. A little more honest conversation. Yeah. At like, the same don't, time, it's like a parent. Like, it's wild now to think of it. Like, how are you going to tell your little brother, like, 
Look, man, like, let's say, like, God forbid, there's a brother X and a little brother Y in the world. They, I, I, but what's crazy is little brother was, wasn't born yet, but he was born the same month mm. that my dad died. Yeah. This was the craziest thing, Damn, bro. Damn, bro, holler. <laughs> I mean, it's just basically the circumstances of my dad passing away were very uh, rare. Like, basically, my stepmom gave birth to my brother on June 13th, <coughs> mm-hmm. and he was in one ward of the hospital, and my dad was in another ward of the hospital. That's wild. Being Jesus sick. Fuck. And it was... So intense Holy And I was so fuck. I was 13 And I was just like I literally Pushed my Sick father In a wheelchair I've never fucking told anyone anywhere, But I pushed him In a wheelchair To go see his brand new son Who had just got born Whoa. And he had a little mirror And he was looking at himself In the mirror And combing his hair Like I don't want my My wow. My wife And my new baby To see me you know, so we Holy pulled up. Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Same, bro. It was fuck. really crazy. And what's funny, too, is like, this is how I got into music because <laughs> I was there also with my stepdad. Well, I was also there with my stepdad. And his way of coping with me having to go through this, you know, was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, there's two stores like around this hospital in Santa Rosa, where my dad is fucking dying and my brother is being born. And one is a music store and one is a magic store. And so, like, I'm hella good. I'm hella good at card tricks. I swear to God. I feel you. Marky Blaine, I respect that. I already gave you that. I have card tricks for fucking days. And also, like, I just, he bought me, and I remember, like, I love him forever for this. He was like, you need some... My mom was like, you need some retail therapy, you know? So we went and we bought uh, like a CD. I mean, motherfuckers don't know about this, but like a portable CD player. <laughs> and uh, and we bought Tupac Greatest Hits and ah. like some other shit that I like, Genuine. Straight up. <clears throat> and, uh, and that's what we did, you know? And I like, I laid in the hospital bed, that like there was an empty one outside and they kept being like okay this is your dad's last day go say goodbye to him so i'll go inside i'll say bye but he never he kept like being alive he would acknowledge it though no he was in a coma what happened at first he was in a coma so we would go and we would say goodbye then they'd be like you have to say goodbye to your dad now so i would would be he was in a coma i'd be like okay goodbye but then this was in early june and uh so I would go say goodbye and then I would come back outside and then the next I would wake up in the morning like okay is it like over and they kept being like no not quite and it was fucking insane and the whole reason but what they said what they said was like we think that your dad what they all what they tell you is that when someone's in a coma they can still hear you yeah you know they don't say like they can still hear you and they can still um feel your presence but they might not I mean, obviously, like they can't yeah. say anything back, but no, what nobody can say for sure what someone in a coma can receive or not. So they'd be like, "Go say it." So it, this happened every night. So I would go in and say, "Like, Dad, nah, like I love you. You're a great dad." And I would do my thing every and fucking every night. Every night. Oh. And then he kept like getting better, which was the craziest thing. 
So I was going. Did you realize that? Were you going in with like the dad? No, no, no. It wasn't. No, no, no. It wasn't. No. Pops. No, no. Because to me, this was done. Okay. Because they already told me this was done. Okay. So I was. I think I was protecting myself. Like this is done. So I would literally go. Say goodbye, and then I would go out and sleep on this little bed that was outside of his room. And I would listen to music all day. And then uh, at one point, at one point, he just woke back up. No way. And then, <laughs> yeah. No way. At one point. What? Yeah, so he came, yeah, so he came out of the coma around like, uh, like, he went into the coma like in June 3rd or something. And then he came out of the coma. And then it was like, oh. So to me, I was like, so you're back? Oh my God. <laughs> what then, the everyone fuck? In the, everyone in the hospital, oh like, God. I can't even. God, I can't believe we're talking about this, bro. But every, everyone, now, bro. everyone in the hospital was excited because it was like this man whose whole family is here. A lot of people are there. He was just like dead, and everyone said goodbye, but then he woke back up. So then he woke back up, and they were like, what's even crazier is his wife is about to give birth to his son over here. (laughs) Yeah. Dan Rather came to the fucking hospital and was like, like, what's going on here? You know, like literally, it was one of those type of stories. Wow. So he woke up, and but what's even deeper than all this, which Will, my brother Will, like... My dad definitely woke up for Will. That's like really what happened. But also, yeah, lobe everywhere. So, what's crazy though also is that he hadn't like quite finished up like a bunch of life insurance like paperwork. And the doctors told us like people when they're on the verge of death can fight that. You can fight that. Like the day what that you the die, fuck? like the day that you die, you like okay like you have to like take a deep breath and be like okay it's over but you have a good window of like i mean just think about it bro it's your body it's like you can push muscles you can push things you know yeah yeah and and so it was like he literally pushed it woke up and he was one of those dudes that knew the importance of all yeah no yeah like and he woke up pushed it and what's What's hella crazy is that the last, the last few, like he woke up and I wasn't like, no one was allowed to like really talk to him except this guy named Art LaFranchi, who was a lawyer. Art LaFranchi. Yeah, Art LaFranchi. That sounds like the only guy that should have been talking about during that time. And it was like, my dad's just in there. I every LaFranchi from now I'm telling you, bro. Like he had to talk to this man for like a couple of days. What the fuck? And like he talked to him and he worked out a bunch of paperwork and signed a bunch of shit that had something to do with like life insurance. And what's even, I mean, so it was, it was really crazy. So this, his son was born. I pushed him over there. We went in there. We saw my little brother be born. That's Will. And, and then he like finished off his paperwork and then. Like shortly after, and then he went home, and then he passed away. So it was like wow. he really he came out of a coma for he closed the for book. like yeah he like he came out of a coma for like twenty days, and in that time period between wow. he was fully aware, awake, everything when my brother was born, and then he did all this business oh, wow. with like, Arla fucking Frankie. With Arla Frankie. I, sh- I gotta go holler. At you Arla gotta Frankie holler at Art. <laughs> you gotta. I will fucking hunt Art down, dog. <laughs> yeah. 
he's actually a, a big boss. That guy. So, well, bro, your dad was like, yeah. shout out to everyone. It was like, it was like, I gotta wake up. I gotta son's fucking. He literally, he was like, I gotta wake up and talk to him, like my Illuminati partner, and figure out what the fuck's about <laughs> wow. to happen to my family. And like literally, the second he got home, then it, then wow. he passed away. Like he got home Holy for two days. Fuck. And then he like he had a very specific way about like where he wanted to be when he died, and he had it like to the T. Like I, he said, I want to be on my lawn. Like I did all this and that. Holy and then shit. he had someone take him right there, and and he had me dip. I was gone. That's when so, I was at basketball camp. He had oh. you dip. Yeah, like he knew, he knew oh, every he knew shit. like the whole circumstance. Oh wow! And then he, he did wanted it. it his way. Yeah. So holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> So all that, that's really what happened in, um, but you know. With it, let me ask you this, with it, with it, <laughs> whoa, fuck. I wanna, I literally wanna walk off, call you next week and come back to this. No, no, no. That's how trill it is. 8225, come on, that's 8225, how. 8225, bruh. 8225, bruh. No, but look, let me ask you this because Hearing it that way, it became different than yo, bro. I picked you up from fucking basketball. <laughs> like, what a bitch I was for being in the whip. I took myself the fuck out, <laughs> hypothetically. But looking back at it, seeing it that way, did all of those things that had transpired like give you closure? Like, you'd already seen it done. No, you, I've never got closure. Oh, shit. Because okay. I just. It goes back to like the familial safety net, I feel mm. like. And I just, everyone was like really there for me in a way that almost, I, I would say like to this day, I'm probably due for a, a few therapy sessions that I've never been to. And I think that you the older come, I get, I mean, we all deal well. with these things. I'm not the type of person that thinks like, like I'm not like a woe is me person. I had a beautiful life thus far and beautiful, amazing parents. And I really do really, really, really wholeheartedly believe like life is not based upon its longevity. It's based upon how you conduct yourself every day, mm. the impact that you make. And my dad's impact was honestly in a lot of, different ways but also just because of his ability to be a fucking corporate attorney and make a lot of money like he just paved a way for like 13 people or something to like walk through that they wouldn't have been able to do you know and he just made sure that uh everyone was good mm -hmm. and that was like that was what took place in that time period you know when he when he had to do that and so to me, that is one thing that I always recognized and I always, I take pride in that, yeah. you know, because that's like a lot of my heroes pass away early. Sure. So I look at, I look at my dad almost, he's like one of my heroes. He's like a martyr to me almost because he worked however hard he worked and did everything he did. And then when he passed away, there was like, there was a runway for a lot of people. And my mom even like, you know, my mom owns like a, a business now that's really, really successful. And 
both of her sisters are very doing very well in kind of in the same light. They're both business owners. And me, I'm an entrepreneur, a musician, obviously. And I feel like all of this kind of came to fruition because I really feel like the day that after the day that my dad died, my whole everything was different. I was in a small school. I mean, I was in a small town at that point. I was like eighth grade. And everything was like your future now is different from everyone else's because you've been through this thing. And it's like, it's not the worst thing ever. Like a lot of people go through shit, but it's rare for like a kid in middle school to lose their dad, you know? So people always kind of looked at me a little different and looked at my family a little different. Like you've had a severe, this is traumatic, which you've all been through. And uh, that was like, in in the weirdest way, like that was our runway. And we all kind of flew off it in different ways. And, you know, my mom, my aunties, not to say that my dad is, like, responsible for, like, their success, but this whole experience that we all went through had a lot to do with that. And, like, literally after that, that's when I became a musician, you know. So it was, like, everything to me that I could be proud of, of my dad and what he went through and... Even, you know, after he passed away, I could still look at it like not something that was like, uh, I wish he didn't do that. I never thought that. I never thought I wish my dad didn't die. Yeah. I just thought, like, this is what happened. But my dad is such a boss. And what's crazy is that, you know, to keep in mind, you're 13. When most people deal with their parents dying, they're adults, you know, Mm -hmm. and... And they're you know, probably more ill-equipped, bro, honestly. Yeah, Sometimes I mean, I you know, it, it's crazy. Like like I said, when I was 22, that's when my dad died. And I felt at the time like I was pretty mature. But looking back, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I can't even imagine 13. But for you to have that state of mind that you had and that awareness and kind of like also combined with the support of your family, no matter how you cut it, it is a lot for any kid. You're still a fucking kid. It's not like you have a, a career. It's not like you even have your own life. Like you have. Oh, you're really old enough to process it like yeah, that. Yeah, you have your bedroom, some video games, and like your, you know what I mean, like your basketball. So, yeah. music. And and, and 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 music and. So what was that like? How did music fall into this from that? From that moment on. Yeah, yeah from that moment on. I mean, you you were a baller and, and you, you you played sports and you were in this you know alternative school, but. What was that first step into into music from there? I mean, I think about this a lot because it's like I was like a little wigger, you know? That's like a 90s term. Word. I was, yeah. I was a little pigger. <laughs> What's that? A Persian wigger. Oh, Persian wigger. Oh, yeah, white, yeah, wigger. <laughs> so, like, that's how I, uh, like, you know, a lot of black kids in the hood don't got dads. Mm. That's just a fact. Yeah. So, to me, like, the way I approached the world after that was, like, the things that I had always... Like, my dad, li- like, had the blues also. My dad <laughs> was, like, a blue-eyed soul type man. Wow. Really? You know, just because he went through hell of shit. Wow. You know, and, th- and this is why, like, if you re- like, if you retrace the history of music, 
and like you go back to I love I'm a music historian, you know. Love. So like if if you trace like if you ask Chuck Berry how he invented rock and roll, like a lot like what I've read, I mean I could, you know, I only know what I know, but uh like dances, you know, concerts used to be segregated. Wow. So he and Chuck Berry is quoted like he said like basically he played rhythm and blues and he played uh country. And country was like down 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 was like up tempo, you know. And blues is like you know. So when he would play a concert that was segregated, right? He would be like, Okay, I'm about to go play the R and B blues for the black kids, and I'm gonna play the country for the white kids. But when he was playing, it was the opposite. The Whoa. the white kids wanted the blues. They wanted the down tempo, wow. the blues, and the black kids wanted the boom, but don't don't don't. You know, they want to turn up. And so he was like, I gotta blend these together. Oh, and like that's rock and roll. You know, it's like straight up. It's both of these. It's like the energy and the up tempo ness of like the country twang, which probably comes from fucking like Ireland banjo or yeah, you know, it's straight like that, up mixed with like the pain and the emotion of what you know, plantation, working, southern, like, black people had to deal with. Absolutely. That. And that's, like, that's the beauty. That's America, right? Like, that's everything. Yes. So, so uh, I just, I kind of, like, really related to that. Like, I was one of the, like, I heard, like, listen to Tupac and felt, like, the pain and, like, the, mm. the struggle and all that. And I related to that after my dad passed away so much. Yeah. And then it kind of... It gave me like a whole new perspective. Like when I went to school, it was like, who do I hang out with? Who do I associate with? Well, now that I've been through such a hurtful thing, you know, that like um, really, like not that it put me in my place. It just really, it put me in my place in a good way. Like yeah. I felt something. It showed you. Yeah, where, I felt where you lost, were. you know, and, and like a lot of people, like pri privileged people feel lost, of course. But a lot of times it takes, you know, that's why, you know, rich people who have seemingly everything still have to go to therapy and deal with their with everything in their life. Because every person, like you said, you know, we all deal with all these things, no matter rich, poor, well off. My family's good. My family's not. It's life. And yeah, that's life. So for me, I just felt like a closeness with people who felt a more immediate struggle when mm. I was little, you know? Wow. And when I moved but like to where I went to high school and uh you know, which is is uh Marin County, California. I went to Tam Tam High School. Yeah. You know, that's a that's like one of the wealthiest zip codes. Like it's a beautiful, amazing place. And there's like a few little pockets of it that are just like hood. Mm. And I always wanted to go there <laughs> because I was just, Pac. I was little wolf. It was that, but it was just like, I don't know why. I just Word. need to be 14. I need to be in Marine City Word. instead of anywhere else. Cause this is where I feel, even though nobody here, I mean, some people like me, but most people want to beat my ass and punk me every day. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like, this is where I have to go. Cause I feel a kin, a kinship. Like I just feel 
a closeness with these people and not the people who have everything. And that was, it almost like made me feel um, relatable, you know, yeah. to just a whole culture that I didn't know. And, and like growing up when I was little, like where I grew up, I seen everything. Like it wasn't like I grew up in a, a rich place. Like I lived the place that I lived on my block when I was little was always, you know, like a lot of everything, a lot of robbery, a lot of, um, violence. And I remember all that, but that was like till I was 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. But when I went to high school, it was beautiful and it was Marin County, but I still went to the place where the drama was at. And that had, I attribute all of that to my dad passing away because I just, it's true. I mean, like, I'll tell you, man, it, I, f- I felt it like you, you are different. You have a, it's weird. Cause you kind of have a common bond with other people that have gone through like traumatic shit. It's just, it's a weird thing that like, it's in this intangible thing. Right. But you're dealing with so much hurt that you can't even put into words. Like mm. one way I always talked about it was like, okay, when people say like they miss somebody, like maybe someone goes away or some, or your best friend moves or your parents split up and, and your father, you know, leaves the country and goes somewhere else or whatever. And like you miss him cause you don't see him for years. Imagine the per- dealing with the permanence wow, of death. Fuck. Like, like the definition of missing someone completely changes wow. when someone actually dies. You're like, wait, I, I it, can never. It's not even missing. It's like, oh shit! Wait, this is done. Like you, you fuck your your mind fucks you up because you'll be walking through one day and like say you'll you'll get a good grade on a test or achieve something. Like our instincts as kids, that's inherently in us as we grow up, mm. is like you want to just go and tell your parents, right? And like you're like, oh wait, you forget they're not there. It's like the, all these like little moments and these wow. little weird things that happen that you're constantly dealing with, aside from like that weird trauma and hurt, I totally feel you on that. It, it's hard to kind of go back to normal life. Yeah. You, know? you, you, you just are a different person. And that doesn't mean like you're fucking immediately edgier or this or now you got to be bad. It's, it's not that. It's just like something changes and it's weird and you are looked at differently and Things aren't normal. Like one thing I always remember that was like so fucking annoying to me. And now I, I, I'm like, whatever. But when people are like, oh, man, it's, it's, it'll be OK. It'll be OK. I'm like, bro, like, <laughs> fuck you. Like, it's definitely not OK. Like, let's, yeah. just, let's just deal with the fact that it's not OK. Like, Because yeah. cool. like, no, it, it's not going to be OK. Like, it's just that's what it is. Now let me just try to live my fucking life. Mm knowing that this is how it is and now things are different. So um, I feel you like that. And, no, and, and yeah, that it, w- it was funny because after that happened, I felt like it was like one of those things where because I was in a like a small town for the most part. I mean, and so it was like everyone knew that this thing like it, this is not. A, th- this is something that happens a lot of places all over the world. So I don't ever want people to, like, this is not me saying, like I said, you know, I don't, I'm not sorry for myself or nothing. But no, it's just, but it's I was started. in a place where everyone knew that this had happened and it was kind of unusual. And so the first thing that I felt, honestly, was almost like my my father has passed away 
and a lot of my friends' parents knew my father mm. and respected him to be the man he yeah, was. Yeah, like yeah, you know. And uh, so now that this thing has happened, <sighs> like my teachers knew, you know. So was and it like coddling? It was. It was. It was not that. It was more like whatever I say. If I choose to say anything, my teachers and my fellow students are gonna listen 100%. because they want to. They were almost waiting for me to like, what's he gonna do? Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I that I That's did, you know, wild, and like literally, bro. God, can you imagine <laughs> being thirteen? Like, can you imagine what like I'm Cats going, over here, like, bro, like, imagine this, like you imagine going what that first day of going to school is like. You're like, fuck, I got no, deal I swear, with this. like literally the first day, because and this is shit I remember. Feel that pressure too, or was no, it I like didn't feel no realized. pressure. I just this is something that happened. And then the first day, the first thing I did is there was this teacher named Miss Juarez in my middle school who everyone knew was the best. I mean, best meaning dopest, easiest, coolest. Yeah. You know, yeah. she was the best teacher in eighth grade. And first day, I think I have Miss Veerstra, who was like a new teacher. I was like, mom. You have to be fucking kidding me. Like, I get whatever fuck teacher I want. Like, I know, I know that you can go in and tell the principal. And literally, she did it. Like, she went in to to my principal with me, like, on the third day of my eighth grade year. And was like, Mark's been through a lot this past six months. His, His father just passed away. And he's had his, um... He's had his sights set on being taught by Miss Juarez. Can you can you please? She put it so eloquently too. She just give us Miss Juarez. I don't know actually what the fuck she yeah, said. Yeah, but no, but like she got. And it the done. principal was like, "Of course, like whatever, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> done, sign." So I have Miss Juarez, and like I have to say that Miss Juarez was the teacher who on Friday was like instead of class. We doing a poetry slam today. Whoa! (laughs) She was the easiest one, the coolest one, all that. But then she brought the poetry slam in the mix. And young Marky was like, "Well, shit, I've been through this." She was, I know. Young Marky was like, "What is a poetry slam?" (laughs) She was like, "Well, you know what poetry is, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." She was like, "Okay, well, there's this thing called a poetry slam where, like, you say a poem." Someone else says a poem, and then you get like judged on the poem. So I was like, it's like a Holy rap battle. Fuck. Yeah. I was like, it's a battle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was like, I know, I know all about this. So the, fir- <clears throat> the first day, she was like, everyone in the class, write a poem about your favorite superhero. And like, I was like, I get this is school. Like, I'm just about to write a rap. Wow. I'm about to write a rap verse about fucking Mighty Mouse. Let's go. And like, I, like everyone went and everyone was like so confused and like bad. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is so easy to me. This is all I do. Bro. Is like, <clears throat> listen to. The Waldorf school came in. The yeah, yeah. I was like, like all I do. Is, it, it, that's all I do. Up. And I went yeah. up and I was like, <laughs> Mighty Mouse. And, <laughs> and everyone was looking at me fucking crazy like holy shit we already had to listen to him because of his like his dad passing away and all that sad story but 
like I was able to just do that. You were in your zone. Yeah, too. I was in my zone, and I was doing this my little poetry thing, and I was like, dumb, just like fucking yelling at everybody, you know? Yeah. And, and it was just about Mighty Mouse, also. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah, like that's all. That was the first assignment. That was first. So Friday? yeah, and so we had a poetry time. So it was okay. Mark won the poetry time, and everyone was like, like no one else even like dared yeah. to challenge me because it was like I was. I had that in me like so deep. So then we're like, okay, next Friday we're gonna do it again. And now the topic is gonna be blah blah blah. And like every time we did this little in class poetry slam, Miss Juarez, I was like a likable student, but I wasn't like the most likable student. You know, I was just like Elaborate on that. I just mean like I don't think that my teachers ever I wasn't like the favorite student. I wasn't like the cutest student. Thank I, God. So you weren't yeah. embroiled in like some. <laughs> no, I just I'm just saying no, like I real, I really I wasn't like I know I remember just I was kind of yeah. like whatever. Yeah. I was smart. I'm sure my teachers always. But you were likable. You were yeah, never no, like I a was, favorite they, yeah, or, no. or a detriment. But I was just whatever. Yeah. Like my friend was always like the favorite. Word. Or like, and but I just remember like this was the first time when it was like there's a thing that my my teacher tells us to do and that like excelling. I'm smashing on uh, everybody in this like poetry Love it. Mrs. Warren. Yeah, I was like Mrs. Warren. So what's really crazy though is so this was in eighth grade and um I really like I took it to That's heart. It's a very transformative year too though. No it is bro I'm telling you eighth like, this, grade is like and this is this is literally the, the year yeah. after like me you know going through these things. Yeah. And, and uh, wow. I really like. I'm embarrassed when I hear or read my poetry from when I was like 13 to 16 because it's so dramatic. I feel you know, and you. it's like as you as you get older and you learn about writing, or you learn about jazz, or you learn, you know, it's like you learn about art in general, like subtlety, like s- sentimentality, is not good in art. Almost, it's mm. like. It's easy, you know, so you have to like wow. grow from that. So when I hear myself being like a little kid, <laughs> just being like, whatever, you know, like, off at everybody, laughing about my dad <laughs> or something. I'm very embarrassed to hear that. But I think that people around me were like, whoa, like, holy shit. He had it in him. Yeah. So my teacher, Miss Juarez, she was like, okay, well this is ridiculous that you keep doing this like in our little school. So I have to take you to go to this Youth Speaks Teen Poetry Slam that was in San Francisco. Don't tell me yeah. who it was with, dog. What? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, no, no. The, like this this is a thing. It still exists today. It's called Youth Speaks, and it was on uh, Valencia Street at the time in the mission. And I went, and um, I just fucking, like I did the same shit I was doing in school. But in front of like hella people who are going through all types of different shit. Wow. Shit like me, like I'm like the little Marin kid who's like daddy just passed away, like dealing with that. But then kids were dealing with the craziest shit you could imagine. Sure. But I was fucking pouring my heart out every time. Yeah. And so when we kept, we went to these poetry slams and it was like the first round. I like won it and then like the second so I, w- I kept advancing and it's weird to like judge poetry in that way and be like this is 
you know, art is not a competition, but right. in this format it was. And, like, it was a teen. It was called You Speaks Teen Poetry Slam. So it was 13 to 19, but I was 13. And I just remember, like, this was also around the time that I realized, like, I probably wasn't going to go to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like being on stage and saying a poem and having everyone be like, you know, you won the thing. It was just like a mind blowing experience. And, and that the, feeling had to be crazy. Yeah, because it was like, bro, I, I literally to this day have never gave a performance as good as I did when I was 13. Like, I was really? so, I was so nervous. Really? I remember my legs, like, they were shaking so badly that I had to, like, pace, like, on stage back and forth because I was so nervous. <laughs> if there is a powerful person in my presence peering on my poetry, thinking about my dad, like, that is throwing me. Oh, oh it was like, I was going crazy. Oh. I, I would have these, like, <laughs> I would have these, like, out of body, like real performer experiences. And, and shout out to your legs shaking because then you started like scanning the stage. No, I it's did. Like, like I just, felt just it. to not fall down, but like you were like just deliberate. No, I was, and I felt it so much. And and it was Miss Juarez like drove me into the city. Like you got to do this. And I remember her to Miss fucking Juarez, dog. Like she. She was like nervous for me. Yeah. And I was always thinking like, don't like bitch, don't be nervous for me right now. You think I'm about to go in here and flop? Like you drove me all the way to the city. Yeah. And the first time I did it, I wore like a, a white dress up shirt. Cause I was thinking like we're gonna go do like a public speech. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's what you wear. Yeah. yeah, like you gotta have like a college you, you shirt you on. The square and I was in the Waldorf was not tight. There. Yeah, yeah. So then I got there and nobody was looking like me. Everyone was looking at me crazy. But Miss Juarez was like, are you, com- are you comfortable? And I was like, Miss Juarez, red, like, I got this. Like, I felt really like I yeah. could do that. And uh, like, I really... Like, even really specifically, like, I remember the first Poetry Slam, and I soaked in, like, all the other ones. And to, to like, to be perfectly honest, like, I remember at least, like, four or five plus lines of, like, everyone else's poem from that day. Wow. You were and so in there like I was that. just so mesmerized just, like, that there was other children, like, wow. kids expressing these things, and it was, like... It was Holy a lot of fuck. Yo, hold on. I want a moment of silence, though. Wait, can I, I got a piss. Yeah, no, go I'm ahead. Good. Thank you. That was the moment no, of silence. Wait, no, I need this, no, but look, I want a moment of silence straight up for not only your decision to go towards Miss Juarez. As a kid, you just knew that that was the right place to be. But Miss Juarez... And that decision being the one that literally guided you or sparked you on that path. And now we back. Miss Wyatt. We edited out a little part and the whole cast is back. What it do, y'all? Hold on, let's clap. Hey! Yes, and and Marky just left. Who has the loudest clap? You do. Guys, I bring my power. I have a power in my hand. I'm 
<laughs> and listen, that hurt my every, everybody had the Southside Chicago <laughs> blaps out, and we're getting our claps out. Yay. It's a big film here, y'all. It's a big film. It's a big film here, y'all. We went okay. through breakfast in, with Tiffany <laughs> and came right back. My G, I wanted to speak on the fact that Mrs. Juarez was such a pivotal part in your blossoming as a creator. And the, the craziest part is, is that you made that decision, which comes back to the fact that in our lives, whether we know it or we don't, our decisions implicitly or explicitly really dictate, which is the beauty of this thing called life because as much as we want to have a hold on our choices, as much as we want to stand by them, sometimes we make them from a gut and they take us places. Miss Juarez came to you at a time where not only had you lost something, but you gained something in the fact that your love of the air and the noise around you became a seed into which a rose would eventually grow. I'm so tight right now, out of concrete, you understand me? But I wanna know this. I wanna know about Mark Griffin in high school and knowing that he was a baller and knowing that he also understood his limitations as a baller, but music was his driving force. And music had been reinforced from the stage and spoken word, right? Yeah. You knew you were different in that regard. Anything that you could have thought of getting from being a pro baller, you were getting from Mrs. Juarez taking you to the Friday slams to the stages in that sphere. So let's go into how being thrown into that element, because I'm sure now the friends started to change a little bit too, because you met kids that were just like you, and it became we all in the city. So let's talk about during this high school time where you had gotten an affirmation, whether it was ex like direct or not, that this music shit could be something and you were expressing yourself freely, which was the best thing that could have possibly happened to you. How, how, how did that develop during that high school era? Okay, well, that's a great um, way to start this um, second half. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, so basically, to me, Doing music at this time, and for all you kids out there, you have to remember that this is uh, 2002 or 2003. Mm. So this is not the era of like Instagram. Like at this time, it was still like you have to like play basketball and fist fight to be cool. Yeah. In high school, you know, that's like that's all it really. Your was. coolness is literally like established <clears throat> by your being. Yeah, like it's like very. It's it very like physically oriented mm. and it's all about like who's like coming through the party like literally physically intimidating everybody yeah. for the girl what does the community think of them not the world yeah and and like there's no uh there's no option to be um like when i was in high school doing music wasn't at least in my like very suburban um like sports based existence it wasn't like oh who's like popping on social media like that shit literally yeah. didn't exist i didn't even have a cell phone until i was 17 you wow. know so like, <laughs> like people have because all my family now went to the same schools i went to yeah and they're always like this is my new boyfriend or this is like the cool guys i'm like what 
does he does he play who like, <laughs> like no he's just like cute <laughs> like that did not exist when i was in high school it was like you had to play basketball or football or like when you went to the party you had to be like the big asshole fight you know that type of that was like suburban everything yeah, yeah. so that's what it was all about and i wasn't really like that so to answer your question music so i hit it that wasn't something i was like wow. proud of so when i was a freshman i did it just so happened that my high school had like a little poetry slam also okay. in one of my classes so of course everyone else was like what's that like my mom and my dad <laughs> with a bag and, <laughs> and i went up like just going crazy giving it to him so everyone was just because <laughs> that was something that i had already done yeah like in in a scene where that was something that was really nurtured and accepted in so i knew what i was doing i wasn't scared of that so i went and did it and um this that was actually like my maybe my freshman year of high school so i did my uh it was like a final project of one of my classes was like you have you had to uh do a presentation in front of the class where you just shared something uh intimate about yourself so some people like kids built shit this was a really cool project you know that was miss schwartz who was my least favorite teacher actually ever the wow. next year after miss schwartz <laughs> but i still remember her. i hated her <laughs> but it, it was like that project was yeah lit. some kids built stuff some kids turned in like uh essays about history or whatever just to say this is what i'm have been raised to deem this is what I deem important and this is what I'm sharing. It was like a sharing thing. Mm. So my thing was like, okay, I'm gonna do my like poetry shit because this is what I just been kind of successful with. So everyone was very impressed by that. And then there was two kids in my class who I wasn't friends with, but one was a drummer, his name was Ben Vogelsang, and one was Matt Reagan, who was a guitar player. And they were like, hey, after I did it, they were like, yo, we're, we, uh, we're, this is, you know, I knew these kids, but we weren't friends. But yeah. they were like, you know, that we're in the jazz band, and we really like the roots. Yeah. <clears throat> and, I, and I was like, what's the roots? You know, I don't know about the mm. roots. And they were like, we re we really like uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Roots, Incubus. They really <laughs> it was such that era. Too. That's an eclectic <laughs> mix, though. Yeah. Era. No, but it's actually not that eclectic between them. If <clears> you really think, it's all like they were really, they really liked music that was uh, based in like like funk groovy white yeah. boy like groovy yeah. white boy music you know yeah. not the roots it's not groovy white boy music but like red hot chili pirates incubus like that and uh but red hot Medeski, martin and wood like kind of mm. advanced like mm. they were really good musicians so they were like yo matt was like yo if you could come do the shit that you do in the, like the poetry slam on our songs it could be tight. Like, that could be cool and i was like holy fucking shit I can't even imagine doing that because yeah. I've never connected my love of music and then I'd have this poetry thing with like doing music. So I was like, okay. Like, That's so tight. So they're like, we, they were like, we have this Ben in Ben's basement. We got all the instruments and we got like an A-track record. You got to come through one time. So I was like, okay, yes. So 
I never listened to any music at this point with distorted rock guitar. That was like the Whoa. big thing that I thought about was like, they're like real white boys. <laughs> really? You, the, you never listened like rock? Or, or, I like, I didn't like Green Day or fucking Smashing Pumpkins. Like no, I didn't like listen. No. no, like to me, that was like the weak shit that like the not cool kids Dude, listen to. <laughs> but to me, cause I was lit, I was listening to Bay Area rap music sure, yeah. and uh, you know, all that. So I was like, okay. So I was like, I gotta do homework. <laughs> I gotta figure out like what I'm gonna do. So for some reason, the one song that I always liked was Soundgarden. Oh, uh, wow. What's the big ass? Black Hole Sun? Black Hole Sun. Black Hole So I was like, I think I could sing that song. I was you It's funny to me to think of like assuming why you didn't fuck with them, right? Because that music genre was, was of the the white boys that had the dad and hated him. Yeah, and, you're and, right. And the black dudes were the dudes that didn't have the dad, but was just like we grooving with the hip hop. So <laughs> you didn't have the dad, you didn't hate him. You were literally caught in the mix of the shit. You met them in the basement, but like. <laughs> Nirvana is lit as fuck, but like you didn't hate Daddy to fucking. No, I really, really didn't. Like- <laughs> I really didn't like that, any of that. I just always thought like, why would you listen to that? Yeah, that's just like you don't even know what the fuck they're saying. Yeah, but what they were saying was like what Kurt was saying was lit. Uh, no, I mean, of course, yeah, of course. Now, like, now at this yeah. at this time yeah, in my life, age, I didn't yeah. know. So I went. I was like, okay, I know this one song that yeah. you guys could probably play. Yeah, she called Black Hole Sun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. They're like, nah, like we got this song called "My Mellow, My Man." Oh, you know, and that's like an old Ruth song, Ruth like from the first I album. I feel you. I love the Ruth, and I was just like this. Yeah, no, no, no. people don't because I didn't either. I was like, okay, whatever. You know, like, so they started playing, but because because they were um, like my this is my high school band, and they were like really rooted in like they were in the jazz band, and they liked jazz fusion and mm. like even to get even deeper into Quest that love like, was like a god to yeah way. like fucking god but also even deeper than that like jaco pistorius like really Dude, amazing way, fuck man like you. amazing a, shout bro, out to caucasians connecting player. right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm a bass player <laughs> Dude, bro, yeah Jock, jaco pistorius is like the Jimi hendrix of bass I re- like, no, no. literally i love him and just done. by hearing and your, your passion for that but i'm just saying done, but i'm just go. saying i'm just saying people don't know but like yeah. how good they were at music yes inspired me uh, you know and i was because i was so comfortable being like like I was running around the hood trying to be like the little white boy. Yeah. Listening to Looney Colleon and like <laughs> fucking like whatever. But I was I never felt like I was never trying to do that. Yeah. So it never even occurred to me like <clears throat> um like, oh, I gotta listen to this or this. It's yeah. just what happened, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I hear um like there's a whole LA jazz scene, you know? Fucking uh like the whole like Thundercat, like the whole like the whole all the musicians Monster. that kind of gravitated around like Kendrick Lamar and fucking I maybe say his name wrong, Terrence but Martin. yeah, Terrence Martin, Kamazi Washington, like Kamazi there's all these cat, there's all these cats, right? Yeah. And when I li- I listened to a podcast with him one time, and he was talking about how like all these cats in Compton, like they were running around telling him about 
jazz, like about bebop and like wow. and inspiring kids, you know. And and it's like to me, I kind of thought more like that. Like when I saw my guy Matt Reagan play the guitar when we were in high school, who was like the pimply face fucking nerdy kid. Yeah. But when I saw him touch a guitar, it was just like was everybody. Like, Brad Pitt when I would it. tell him, I would tell him, bro. Outside of the chicken soup. Yeah, I would be like, bro, if you came with me to anywhere I go, everyone will love you wow. if you play guitar. Like, you don't wow. ever have to be embarrassed mm. or, like, secluded or feel like you're hiding. Like, you're, the amount of talent Superstar. that you have playing this guitar is so beautiful and amazing that the most hood cat, the most rich cat, and everything in between we'll the will fuck fucking love what you do. Uh, you know? Yeah. So... So when they, you know, when I first went to like band practice and sang Soundgarden and then they were like, nah, the roots is what we like. I was like, oh, for real. So we started creating music together and I, st I didn't tell anybody for like a year and a half that I was doing this. And then after maybe a year and a half, I had like a couple songs that we had recorded on a fucking tape. You know, on the A track, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you press the button and you record the guitar. Mm -hmm. You press the button and you sing. And I played it for my girlfriend. And I was like, <laughs> first I played some shit for my mom. She was like, <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. really? She was not fucking with me. Did that dead you out? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> my, my mom loves everything I do. <laughs> Like, come and on, she, mom. You with the she, she was like, it's good, honey, eye. but, like, got to probably keep working on it. Like, you have to work on your shit. So I didn't do nothing for a year. <laughs> I feel you. But I really, uh, it also, it just so happened. This is so tight. It just so happened that my neighbor was, like, a studio horn player. Okay. His name was Dick Mew. Dick Mew. M E U X. You know he's a horn Dick player, bro. Mew. Yeah, Dick Mew. <laughs> was the M in his name like the real like Mew? Like that right. little like, long stroke? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. That's a Mew, right? Shout the out to Dick Mew. And he, bro. he had. <laughs> Dick Mew and Art Lafranc. Dick Mew. Art Lafranc. Art Lafranc. Art Lafranc. Dick Mew and Lafranc need to get, get down and start yeah. a band. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck they are, but Dick Mew. He had like this little setup in his house for recording, and this is before like everyone had Pro Tools and shit. So he had um, like a nice, uh, like a digital A-track recorder as yeah. opposed to like this just the one the on sexy tape. Joint. No, he had the sexy kind of. He had the yeah. he had the sex joint. So he was like, I was just telling him like I'm in a band or something. Like we live next. He was literally my neighbor. Why? So he's like, okay. Dick come, come play. Neighbor, yeah. Dick Mew. Dick, Dick Mew. Dick Mew. So I hope I'm I saying that. I made him a hockey star before he was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I added the Lemieux to him. Yeah. He was on Boston. <laughs> yeah. oh. so go ahead. Dick Mew. <laughs> Forgive me. So he was like, come through with your friends one time and let's do like a little thing. So I came through with my friends and recorded a couple songs. And uh, then I took it immediately to my girlfriend. I was like, don't fuck with me. Just like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to play. It's on a tape. I was yeah. like, just, I'm going to play this thing. Just like, Tell if it's good, I don't fucking care. I've never yeah. played it for any of my friends. You probably said hella more words than that. Because like, you, I don't know, know what the fuck yeah. I said, but I played it. And she was just like, 
oh my god you're gonna be famous <laughs> and i was like nah like that's not really good and she was like baby this is so good and i was just like i knew that me and her shared a love of music like mm. we're big lauren hill fans like like big Top three albums big ever. d'angelo fans like even as little kids like i wasn't my musical taste went wherever the fuck I wanted. I never felt like I had to like certain music yeah. to be cool. You weren't raised ever. that way. Because I already was way past everybody in the suburbs. Like, I already was listening to the hardest shit first. So I was already like, I like R&B shit. I like old school music, like whatever. It was always cool to me. I never felt like I had to pick my uh, music to determine like what scene or nothing yeah, like that. You know? absolutely. I never felt like that, which was a big advantage. And she was kind of like that too. So she was like, this is beautiful. You're, you're like solid, you know, like you should How keep. old were you here? Like what grade this was this? This is like 17. Got it. So I was like, okay. So I took that, put it in my pocket. Did, still didn't tell nobody for a long time. And then maybe a year can, later. Can we go through what your thought process was on not telling anybody? Cause like, I feel like, a lot of creatives have that. Like, even when they first get that, like, spark in them, they're like, damn, like, I could be. Like, you were hearing your girlfriend, and she was like, you're going to be a superstar, and you were saying, like, oh, stop, baby. Like, word. But, like, in, like, a little piece of us, and that's why I take it, the weight off of all, all of you, in a little piece of us, when we hear something that, we're like, damn, maybe we could, though. <laughs> right? No, I literally, I thought to myself, like this isn't something that I take too seriously. Yeah. But this is something I love to do. Mm. And it was very like she was my test because that's like my first girlfriend, first love. Mm. And so it was like she was younger than me. She yeah. was like in the grade below me. So she wasn't gonna like she had I was already I was playing ball and shit. She had yeah. no reason to tell me like this was a good yeah. thing. You, you were know? already good she as fuck. She could have been like that's cute, baby. Like yeah. keep like being in like a high school asshole and I'll keep yeah. liking you. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh She always she was honestly honestly Jessica Galvin, first love of my life. What's like, up, girl? Fuck, I love her so much. And she she was like shook almost like Absolutely. i can't believe that but that you, made you feel real t yeah wait she, let me ask you this was 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 her reaction to shookness your mom's same reaction to this or was no it no opposite my mom okay. well no my mom was a year before that okay my but mom no, I, was I, I like was this my mom was like this is not very good mark but then you <laughs> like, it up. yeah but then but when i played it for my mom that was like the first thing i ever recorded and it was uh like a very like a rap rocky like okay. thing. Yeah. And then the thing I played, what had happened was when I went to my neighbor, I was only with the guitar player. Got who it. Who was Matt and he just played like bring 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 bing bing. So you were confined bing, 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 behind the bing, sonics. Bing 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 bong bang. Just like a little beautiful guitar line that you could do anything over. Yeah. It's like you could rap, sing, whatever. And before that, I was with my whole band in the garage, like, bro, to get the to go. I think like playing like a rap rock yeah. like a rhythm, you know? So, so when he did that, and then I got to just like kind of float yes. and sing some little shit. So I felt better about that. Yes. So I played it for her, and she was like, this is really good. And then maybe like a few months after that, I played it for my best friend in high school. 
and he was, you know, very like critical. We were critical of each other, anything yeah. we did. But even he was like, bro, that's good, bro. Like, I'm not gonna lie to you, you know? And then a couple of the older cats were like, that's pretty good. So I was like, okay, I just took that. I still didn't like think nothing of it, but yeah. then, then um, my senior year of high school, guys ready to get to the next uh let's go depre- depressing we, uh fucking let's, thing let's <laughs> dive, let's, bro we've been right there in. we've okay. been there because so dogs in the high school and i was light. doing my music and i was really in the basketball thing i was in a basketball game <laughs> and i was uh on the baseline yeah, <laughs> actually this is, in the, this is in the springtime and i got hit in the head like really really hard on like a fluke accident and uh i got hit in the head like by an elbow, mm-hmm. but it was like one of those like freak accidents where like you get hit so hard wow. that like you can't even like believe it. And I woke up like out of this little like miniature uh, concussion coma. I, yeah, well, yeah, it was like laying. Then I yeah. woke up and I was like, yeah, yeah, I got knocked out. I was like, I'm fine. And then I went, um, I went back to my uh, best friend at the time. I mean, still, you know. Uh, I went back to his crib and I was like, he's like, you all good? And I was like, kind of crazy. I was like, yeah, I'm all good. Like, and I started throwing up. And I started throwing up everywhere. And uh, he was like, damn, bro, you okay? And we had just ate at this like nasty, there was like this hood ass Chinese spot where we used to always go called Rickshaw. And uh, he was like, damn, you might got like food poisoning. So I went home and I was like throwing up for like 24 straight hours and then like 48 straight hours jesus and my mom was like damn baby like are you okay you got like food poisoning where'd you eat i was like i ate a rickshaw she was like holy shit you for sure got food poisoning i wouldn't stop throwing up and then it lasted for so long and i had like such an intense headache the doctor had to come in no no no. i i started to like i got like these suicidal thoughts really yeah because i was in so much pain and then so it's like when you go through like 48 hours of like extreme pain in your in your head you just wanted to be done yeah so i was like like i could kill myself and then it'll be over. And then I told my mom, like, and she was like, we got to go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. And um, Shout out to the fact that you had an open enough relationship to your mom where even if it was a slip or not, that came up. Yeah. And so she was I, like, I was like, oh, mom, baby, I was oh, like, well, yeah, we have to oh, go. Oh, you can? All we right, we're go going here. So we went to the hospital, and this is when I'm like 17. And... I go uh, to the doctor and I'm like, yeah, I have food poisoning. My mom's like, he won't stop throwing up. He hasn't ate anything in 48 hours. And they're like, okay, well, he seems all good. Like he probably has food poisoning, but like his eyes are completely red, like Mm -hmm. bloodshot in all the white parts. So we should do like a... Thank God for those doctors. We should do like a brain uh, scan, you know? So I went up... And I did this uh, a CAT scan on my brain, and they're like, you know, Mark has like a big growth, like a big ass thing in his brain. What? And so, to me, being like a kid, and like my dad had just passed away from cancer earlier, I was just kind of like stunned. And what was the growth? It was like, well, I'll tell you. But the first, when you have a CAT scan. 
that's like uh, all they can really see is black and white, you know? So yeah. like black is good. And if you have like something that's white or whatever, it's like that is something. We concern. don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah. So like we don't know what it is. But it's probably like a tumor or some shit. And it was like a big ass thing behind my right eye. Mm. So I was in the hospital and my family had just been through this. So it was like all the women, the aforementioned women who are all my family were like with me over my hospital bed, fucking crying, like holy shit. So I'm sitting there and I really didn't like, for some reason I never was like scared about this. And it wasn't something I, I was just like, everything's going to be okay, you know? So uh, this is my junior, spring of my junior year. And so basketball season is over. So I'm just in there, like, and the doctor is like, you know, I'm sorry, but we can't tell you what's going to happen or what it, you know, what it is, but it's something serious and we have to, like, keep looking at it. You got hit in the head, but that's not a cause for, like, this thing in your brain. Can I stop right there? Because I'm just, like, intently listening to this shit. And we're speaking about the depressing thing that happened. Yeah. Right? And you started <laughs> yeah. that earlier. The craziest shit is the whole time you're saying this and this moment came up, I'm thinking about the blessing that happened, that this motherfucking freak accident elbowed the fuck out of you and you started feeling something instead of it just like lingering and like getting no, there. No. The, wild, the wildest shit for me is, is that this elbow and this freak accident took you to after two days and after you were unlucky enough to eat at the spot that you could sell off a food poisoning to, which you probably hadn't had in ages, but it's like, that's the crack spot. It's hella good, but we can write it off. But the wildest shit to me in this instance, and then we'll follow after that, is the fact that the, it's wild how like the, the, the world was working here, right? And I'm not quick to put it on God, like, all love to God, but the world was working here, right? Yeah. In that you got hit. Whatever this was, was there. It, it wasn't, like, I was thinking concussion, like, I was thinking all that, but, like, whatever it was, it was already there, but this, like, for some, whatever the fuck reason, you were on the court where you were doing what you were doing, and this shit happened, and the motherfucker was, like, bodily going to do what he was doing, and this shit happened, right? And then you went through two days of hell, and like, as in all times back, as beautifully open as you were as a kid, you were able to express to a mother like that you had these thoughts. And at that moment, outside of baby, you good and you selling it off. She was like, "Whoop, we heard something. Let's go." The test started happening, and because of this shit, because of all these chain triggers of events that went down, something was found through the testing, and we hear now, but. My thing is, like, damn, what a blessing. That no, shout out to whoever the fuck it was that had that elbow. Because it really reminds me of... I have no boys. idea, too. Right? But look, crazy. You, you know what's crazy? I was literally, like, sometimes I, like, uh, I'm waiting for an assumption of mine to come to life, right? And the beauty about me is that I don't, like, want it to happen. But if it does, it does. But I'm still listening. And this just reminds me of a story where my boy Marky Gooby had stage four cancer, was a football player, was buff at the time, right? 
his girlfriend was giving him a massage and there was a lump there. And this was one random day she was giving him a massage and she felt a lump. She was like, baby, what is that? And he was like, oh, I don't know. But like this dude was jacked, so like it could be muscle. And as a man, we kind of like, you know, it is what it is, <laughs> right? But she was like, no, I think you should check that. And this motherfucker had stage four cancer. Oh, my God. Right? And had she not found that, he would have died. Had whatever rough day in football practice happened and whatever, like, post-sex or pre-sex or just, like, pre-fact, pre-Netflix and chill was happening, she was giving him a massage, right? And he was sitting, like, everything happened in order, but, like, she felt something that she hadn't before, and it was stage four, but they got through it. And, like, that's... That literally, that was just like the firework fucking iPhone message that was going off in my head the whole time you were saying this. I was like, holy fuck, it's beyond that. Uh, it's not that concussion movie with Will Smith. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is something crazier. So now the test came. So what, test, what, what, what was going so down? I did the first test, and they were like, well. So basically, they see the thing, and then they have to test it. So <clears throat> the test was like, what the fuck is it? And then it it was like, it's not a tumor. So the first thing, basically from the first day, it was like, it's not a tumor and it's not cancer. So that was like a big ass relief, you know? Also because my best friend's mom had, had passed away from a, a brain tumor. So mm-hmm. I, was, I always kind of like had thought about that. So it wasn't that, so that was good. And then they were like, what you have is this thing called a, it's called a, a cavernous venous malformation, which is basically like you have a bunch of veins that since the time you, since the day you were born, were like so, uh, tangled up behind oh, your right wow. eye. Wow. And they're like, basically what happened is on the impact, they started to bleed. Oh, so what happened oh, is you. Oh, from the elbow? Yeah. So they're oh, like, shit. so what you had was a brain hemorrhage. And you're very lucky that it was in a certain place because you can always die from a brain hemorrhage, but just by virtue of where it was located in my brain, it wasn't wasn't something that could kill me, which is actually a whole deeper path that goes into my lineage because both of my, when I like investigated it later in life, my, my great, great grandfather, um, and my great great grandmother both died of brain aneurysms. Wow. And there's like also, boys and girls, you can look this up on the internet, but the Ashkenazi Jewish lineage has the highest uh, rate of like uh, brain aneurysms and like wow. struggling like pr- propensity for like uh, hemorrhage, all this type of shit. Holy and they think fuck. it all has a lot to do with like, like the this particular like race like judaism ashkenazi jew is like a race it's a religion but it's really like both your parents are jewish no Uh only my mom but both of my grandfather's parents died from this oh wow because literally the same thing as me but in a different part of their brain like if it it had been like somewhere else it wasn't if it was like somewhere that controlled Yeah, like you know, like in the in your brain stem is what controls like certain things, whatever. So what happened to me was in the part that controls like higher brain functioning that doesn't control like your heartbeat wow. or, or your like shit, shit like that. Wow. Fuck. But I never thought about Holy any of this. Shit. Fuck. When I was little I just was like, Okay, there's like something wrong 
And then they fixed me. And so basically this happened early on. What was really crazy about it is that this happened. So basically I missed like the second half of my junior year of high school. But then because I was in a small town and everyone knew my dad had just passed away in my eighth grade year, yeah. everyone was like, don't fuck with this kid yeah. anymore. Let, let, him, <laughs> let him do whatever the fuck he wants yeah. to do. Mm. You know, he already, wow. he already got the boss up and have Miss Juarez in, in eighth grade. Can I ask you how trippy it is knowing that this shit started from your birth? The shit happened with your dad, which like was a very, like I, yeah. I, I, I look at it this way. The shit happened with your dad, which was a very traumatic experience. But at the same time, what had happened with your dad, not to say that it played any role or not, what had happened with your dad had allowed a young creative kid that was grown, like that was raised in a, with a mother that was a creative soul and a dad that was boss that was like so empathetic and so like accepting of creative and the souls in general, right? The fact that even though you like by pretext missed XYZ, it was still, listen, Mark... <laughs> he's been through a lot he also shows a lot of promise he's a good kid comes from a good lineage so let's let him keep continuing had that not happened it may have been different you may be do you may be on the same path you may be different but like i'm just looking back just at the crescendo here and being like fuck this it shit was, came it was from honestly birth, it bro. was so like it was just really dramatic it was just like like the place where I was going to high school, this wasn't common. Like, there wasn't a lot of shit happening to anybody. Yeah. You know, I actually, there was, but you didn't really know about it. And so this was just something that, like, all of a sudden I was out of school. And so I missed the whole second half of my junior year. But as scary as it was, like, from the first day, it was always kind of like, you're not going to die. Mm. For, like... Can I ask you something? Yeah. When hearing your pops was sick and feeling like you knew it was gonna be end, what made it different from you? From I you? never thought like that. When this happened, I was like, I told all my family like it's all good. I don't know why. I was just like, I never was concerned. I was like, this is really like weird, and I feel very uh, like I can't believe this is happening. But I never had that feeling like uh. this is. Like, this is it. It was yeah. just kind of like, this is a thing, and I can't... I, I was so bewildered. Like, I can't believe that my mom has to go through this. That's wow. really all I thought. I like, my fucking beautiful mom loves my whole family. You know, she got a baby girl, too. My little sister, Lucy, like, who was... Uh, she would have been, like, seven at the time. I was just like, I can't believe you're doing this to my mom, God. If there's a God, <laughs> like, how could you be doing this yeah. to my beautiful mom I who loves feel me you. so much? But honestly, like from the time that I went to the hospital, there was like a week period of like we don't know that was really scary. Yeah. But I was drugged up, brother. Like, you know. Yeah. You know they keep you drugged up. Yeah. And, and uh, every every test, everything brought me closer to like this is really serious. Mm. Like your son, like this is, you know, he had a brain hemorrhage and all this crazy shit, but you don't have like a cancerous tumor in your brain, wow. which is like, that's the, you know. Like there's a blessing yeah, in like this that's, curse here. That's the line of like, you're going to have to deal with like a few, you know, 
a few years of like crazy shit until your yeah. son dies versus like this is something we can all get through so it was it was clear it was like very clear within like the first month that it, this is not like a death sentence but mm. you have to deal with this but i didn't have to go back to school which was weird you know so from junior year and even in my whole junior year, i didn't give a fuck about school and i was already turning into a bad student mm -hmm. so but you had a blessing so yeah so this no advanced like algebra studentness. yeah oh, yeah so so this happened and then uh Shit, i took algebra two trig as a freshman bro what no advanced algebra break i'm fucking with you really bad bro. at math no I'm, I'm just saying bro but basically um <clears throat> so this shit happened and so that was like between <coughs> between um <coughs> my junior year and then into the next like few months i was my my whole life was dominated by this yeah, yeah. but it was i always knew i was going to be okay yeah and then my family started to know i was going to be okay so then i had this basically happened in the springtime and then i had healed basically what happens when you when you have a brain hemorrhage is there's like blood flooding around your brain which increases the pressure so you mm. have to throw up and you have like the worst headache you wow. could ever like i've never i haven't had a had even a headache you know in my life yeah so when people like say they have a headache it's like trust me had the worst headache that you ever <laughs> for real imagine your whole life you ever life. felt this headache before, no yeah man. like so i don't take like no type of advil or aspirin like i've never done that not that i wouldn't but i just like i know like how uh severely you can hurt you know in your in your brain in your head so basically i had this uh i still even though they were like you're all good they're like you have to have surgery because we're gonna basically what we're gonna do is we're gonna cut around the uh, all the blood vessels mm -hmm. and we're gonna like take out this part of your uh, vascular like brain system that's yeah. off. We're gonna cut it out and take it out and make sure there's there's nothing permanently wrong. And so I did it, and I never, I never forget, bro. That's wild, bro. Bro, I mean, I got the picture. I posted on Instagram for like two hours one time, and then I felt like too dramatic. I took it off. Wow. But, but basically, uh, I woke up, and they were like, "You're all good. It's mm. all good." We tested everything, so that was crazy. And then that's like basically, I started my senior year, and then in that moment, everything turned into music. So like. Instead of wow. instead of being like tripping off, does anyone know about music? I was just like all about the bang, like basketball. Nothing else matters anymore. The only thing that matters is music. Another well, what, what yo, is, no, but hold on, ask that. But another pivotal year, Piv dog. Oh, bro, I mean, eighth grade and twelfth, you yeah. hit these zones, dog. Yeah, what inspired that to just be now nothing but music? Was I mean, I just for some reason it was like. And in the first time when I was doing my slam poetry thing, that was um, sort of in response to my dad passing away yeah. and sort of like this little trauma that I had dealt with. Yeah. And then it kind of reoccurred, you know. So when I went into my senior year of high school, I just kind of, I was just like nothing. Like I don't care anymore about any uh, convention. Like Ugh. I don't feel any need. 
Fuck. Well, like you, you, yeah, to I mean, to be anybody that I was supposed to be, and my mom also, like looking back, she had been through so much that I really feel like all she cared about, as opposed to like what a mom would generally be at, where a mom would generally be at that time, is like I want my son to be on his way to college or on his way to da da da. And she's never even told me this before, but I really hope she listens to this interview because. I know for a fact that at that time, she was like, I just only want my baby to be like, okay, you know? And I don't give a fuck. For real? Yeah. So when I was like, mom, I don't give a fuck where I go to college. Like, I'm in a band. <laughs> she was like, like, that's great. You goddamn right. Yeah. You goddamn right, baby. Also, be in man, a band. You survived a lot. You know, I think uh, people do conventional things sometimes out of fear. Cause it's a safe route, but I'm getting, I'm high, man. So because you kind of survived these two like crazy traumatic things, it's like you didn't actually have much to fear. You kind of survived like what could have been the worst. Your father passed away, and then you having this brain hemorrhage, that, this severe brain hemorrhage, and surviving that. So going going into that, it, you know, do you feel it gave you kind of an attitude of, uh, you know, let me just do what I want. I've already survived this. It's my life hasn't been conventional up to this point. Let's just rock. Yeah, and I never thought of that ever, but it was clearly like looking back, that was everything. Like I hadn't literally, I never so even, true. I never even considered. I like have never in my life considered, like, should you get a real job or like these things that a lot of people around convention. Me, like, yeah, like everyone, my management, my managers people I work with like I really admire them my photographer like everybody that I work with it's like I can't even believe that they Live like that had way. the choice <laughs> to like be that's so real though no it's wow. true like I can't believe like that is so like real. my manager y'all Fe- live that way yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah like Fest Fest could have worked at Google Fest could have worked at Google he, I mean, he had a job offer. It was like $90,000 a year to like wow, do, a, do media for Google. Mac could easily work in advertising. And Josh, my manager, was already working in finance. And like they all just made a conscious decision like, nah, I'm not going to do that because it doesn't fulfill me. But to me, like... I ne- have literally you had no other option. Though. Never thought of that, yeah. even for a split second. Wow! So even when I told my mom, that's insane. Though. Yeah, that is. And when I told my mom, but that's yo, the Waldorf I was school, like, dog. That is the Waldorf school. Though. That's the Waldorf school. I was like, me. Mama, you signed the contract to not watch TV, and your mom was thugging up to it's not true. to it's not let so you watch true. the shit. It's so true. Your possibility was in creation from yeah, jump. It really was. Shout out to that motherfucking jump off veins you had <laughs> in a non-lethal spot you feel me like dog like you see like this is what trips me out and why i have to like just vocalize this shit right now is because i'm like bro we're literally listening to pieces that are dominoes that are fucking falling in line right the collateral beauty of them if y'all ever watched that movie you'd realize the brilliance of the domino scenario i literally cried throughout that whole movie Will Smith in advertising. But when you see the <laughs> dominoes, my G, they're falling in line, right? And literally setting up 
young Mark Griffin into where he's going. My G, it's a beauty to understand that you never had the thought of that because we can understand from where you came from how could a motherfucker have a thought of that? It's really true. Your parents, although one super fucking creatively driven boss up, takes care of her responsibility and is down when she needs to get down and all the aunties and everybody else we don't know about that were exactly the same fucking thing, right? And then the pops that met moms, shout out to God and any fucking <laughs> person up in the air that allowed them to meet like that and whoever bossed up, because it could have been your moms too, right? Whoever bossed up there that they came together Right, and ended up in fucking the Silicon Town when it was really creative and forward thinking. And Ray Kurzweil grew up thinking about singularity there when he was like in the sixth grade during that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All this shit to allow you to become who you're becoming, like dog. Like the beauty, like there's a freeness in the understanding that sometimes we have no choice. Yeah. As right. much choice as we have, sometimes we have no choice, right? Nobody chooses to grow up in fucking Aleppo where they could be bombed and obliterated when they're three months old sleeping, right? Nobody chooses to be a fucking Rothschild, right? And literally hating mommy and daddy and everyone and playing Kurt Cobain and may just blow his brains out in homage to a dude where whether we know that happened or not, we don't. God damn, right? But nobody chose. You, Mark Griffin couldn't have chosen this path. Mark Griffin was literally becoming on this path. And that's the beauty of all this shit because you're becoming. Yeah. Right? You're making choices for the future, but you could not have chosen your past, which is the most beautiful part. God fucking damn. But you know what I love about you saying that, honestly, and... What I love about making music is like, and what I what I feel like blessed about yeah. is that when you deal with certain shit in your childhood growing up, it's more obvious to you how much you didn't decide it, but like the universe gave you this. Yeah. So it's like a lot of people have to live you know, in the, in the first 30, 40 years of their life, even like 50 years of their life, they, um, if they're fortunate enough to have never dealt with no type of shit like that, you know. They can never be. Well, no, no, like they just, they literally, they can't comprehend the fact that it's beyond their control. So they're like, what am I doing? Well, I got to do this well, and this and the, this. What if they're bound by their, con like what they can control or not? Well, what I mean is, like, they haven't got shook up enough to realize how much they're not in charge of this shit. Respect. Yeah. Yep. You know? Boom. So, like, to me, from a very early age, and this is also hard as you grow up, it's like, I've, I've always had that feeling, like, this is not necessarily up to me. This is just something I'm a part of. Yeah. I'm partaking in this experience, but... Yeah. I've always had that feeling like disaster, um, tragedy, death, whatever is like Life. very, very real. Yeah. So it makes art easier, especially a uh, written word and music, because it's something that you can like concentrate, focus on, 
put on a page or on a song and then it exists right there and it can like no matter what happens like literally from the second that you do it it exists and um to, I love you, to, dog. you know you know what i mean like I to do. me that was very important to me from the time from my dad on because you've, you've been raised to have a voice Right. Yeah, my life, my life happened, and you wanted to express it. Your choices, whether you know that or not, like, but you do, Miss Juarez, allowed you to speak it. Right. Life in and of itself gave you more confidence in it. Yeah. You still and finding it. We're about to get to where you didn't know what the fuck it was. Know that we still directing this shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, and it's not two a.m. yet. You dig me? Shit, I have no idea what time it is. But, yeah. I feel you, but look, that's the beauty of a dog, is that like, for somebody whose path has literally been written in like Maktoub, shout out to Paulo Coelho, right? Who's literally been written to to express themselves. Right, we're in an industry, but like the beauty for me in the ultimate essence is that regardless of how far your bounds go, regardless of whether you're expressed, like what I love about you, and which is why when we took our little hiatus and you playing me your new records, like understand, I'm gonna hear all of them and I'm gonna come to the studio to listen to, to them on those speakers and all that. What I appreciate the most about your music is that it speaks to you in your moments. And even if I'm somebody that can look at it like from a purist perspective but not needing to be a snob about it, because unlike you, I'm not a historian with my research. I'm just comfortable enough to know that like in the moment I can really hone in on my ears and, and speak on what I feel in that moment. I've gotten there. I can't back it with facts. I can't do any of that, which is why you could play me records which speak to your interactions with life, which speak to your Hollywood nights, which speak to your relationships with chickies, and then which also speak to your overarching views on humanity in summation of them, right? Even though I may have a fucking opinion, yeah, I'll be the prick that fucking like asked for that. Oh, cool. So that word's a part of the title. So play me that. Because I know that you can't not have that on. And I don't care if that's one of 12. But I know knowing you and knowing the depth of that, that, that something's got to be there like that. Regardless of the title, it's got to be there. Right? The beauty is, is that I just appreciate your, your blossoming into who you're becoming. And, and also the fact that, like, every moment in your life, you've literally, like, whether you've been able to realize it or not, and we can't, but you've been able to take it head on, and it's shaped you. And that's what the beauty of this shit is. It's like, mama, we made it. It's not like, mama, like, we got the Grammy, because, like, your life is far more than that. The Grammy's, uh, like, uh, an accumulate. it's a crescendo point. It's a, like, summation point, but there's way more beyond that. You know what I'm saying? Because I could guarantee you your mama already feels like you've made it, baby boy. Right? But the making... Yeah, the making, she really and, does. And that's what the beauty of this shit is, is I don't care where a motherfucker's gotten to. I don't care what a motherfucker's... Like, even... Like, the beauty of us and the reason why I can speak on it so delicately, delicately and eloquently is that we've also had cats that, like, by definition, haven't made it yet. 
But the fact is they've made it because they got past their fears and are doing it. And also understand that there's so much more to do, but they're not held back by it. They're excited by it, but also know limitations exist. We're human, right? And that's the beauty of being in this type of conversation, dog, because it's like, let's focus on the humanness. Let's focus on the, I said focus. Let's focus on the humanness. My, I'm parched. I've been smoking throughout this, both types. <laughs> but that's the, like, dog, like, know this. Like, my, my genuine affection for you came from the first time that we spoke. <laughs> and that's just because I was able to peel beyond a layer of surface to where I, I, I began to, like, think about knowing the thought of you as somebody deeper than just a creator because every creator has a purpose and like the the pieces of your purpose are fucking beautiful well bro i have to say the way that you just described the idea of mama we made it that's the best fucking thing because it's really true it's like in the case of like what we were just talking about like my specific mother like to say we made it would have nothing to do with my monetary success mm. or a Grammy or a platinum record, which I just got. Hey, <laughs> or yeah. But I'm just saying, but I'm just saying like like it wouldn't even cross her mind yeah. for a fucking second in her life. And it's it's very true. Like the things that make people and and you realize this so much in Hollywood because being stable and just like a good man or woman means nothing here in the public eye or in terms of money. But it's like every parent for their child, they don't want their kid to be rich or famous. What's like the number one thing? Happy. Every parent. Independent and happy. Just like all I want, all I want is for my seed to be happy, you know, because that's the greatest that's the greatest thing you can achieve you know (laughs) so it's like so it's true it's like a a good uh it's just a good sentiment especially for where we're at in terms of like a podcast or music or whatever it's like focus on what what's a better what's more telling about importance than like what a parent wants for their child you know it's like happiness not rich not fucking famous, not pretty even, yeah. you know, whatever. It's always about happiness. And so it's like, it is true that <clears throat> it's easy for me to be an artist and to focus on creating music, which is creates a whole nother different yeah. level of like stress in terms of you have to have artistic integrity. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be good at art. You can't be a flop. And the reason that I deal with all these, those type of thoughts is because my mom, was like, I just want my baby to be happy. <laughs> so if he wants yes. to be broke and be an artist or yes. or whatever, and whatever comes with that, creativity, art is okay as the centerpiece of your life as long as you're happy. And I like, that's rare, you know? And when you have the freedom, and the more I learn about other artists that I've grown up with, yeah. that's common. Yeah, You know? It's not a lot of motherfuckers in Hollywood rappers whatever whose parents weren't in some way like supportive yeah. of their artistic dream like if it was Tupac or if it was Kodak Black or if it was Marky Basie or anyone it's like usually people who do art 
their parents in some way support it you know and like even if the dad is like no or the, you know but but like you can feel it yeah. it's like and it comes from an appreciation of it and that's like to me like this whole conversation we've had like the thing running through it is how much no matter what the like the trauma or whatever is like my whole family music art first no matter anything <laughs> and it's you, like the same no, you for you to do what you do yeah you to do what you, know you what do the most beautiful thing is is this is that whether we agree or not and i agree or not like like and i'll even interject and just fall back here because like to the point of a, of a parent being very supportive of a creative endeavor my g you're very lucky not a lot of motherfuckers have that because in in the basis of a, a parent's like ethos is the happiness right and parents even though when we're young like we just like want to like be, have reckless abandon or whatever when we grow up we realize like and i'll give it a generous percentage instead of like being bodacious 70 percent of what they say when we grow up we realize is right the entertainment path for most is not like are you down to do it for doing it but that's not the bigger point i think one of the biggest reasons why and 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 thank you for understanding that but know this unlike other interviews unlike other platforms i think one of the basis is of this form is i'm we're not here to know right the biggest thing here is we're here to understand which is why there's no like agenda there's no fucking like questions prepared like if we're going to go through life and really talking about it it's not that i want to know something i just want to understand it and by default i'll begin to know right and in life there's like a lot of like that that, that literally is 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 the seed overcoming the surface as opposed to the other way around and the wildest shit is is that as artists or as 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 creatives or as people with voices in general when we begin to understand that we have a platform and we have a voice we begin to think about what we're going to use it for which is one of the biggest things why in private conversations with you i can ask it's not like i'm calling up but but i can ask as to knowing that you have this voice knowing that your voice speaks volumes right what is it which is the balance point for you in terms of fulfilling the voice and also fulfilling the landscape you're in and knowing what you'll get to it like you know you'll get by regardless right and that's the balance no that's you don't on. know no 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 because that's important because this is what's interesting to me now is like when you hear music like for someone like me who is and you know motherfuckers older than me could come to battle with me but I fucking dare somebody my age or younger to fucking try me about music history I get that. Any any genre. So, wait, no, no, but this ties in. So, what I'm saying is like, it's like, when you think about, okay, I have a voice, I have a platform, I have music, and um, I want to affect change. Not change. Like, I'm not even that presumptuous anymore. I'm not even, 
I don't even believe in that anymore, honestly. You know, I know why. change change is very small, very subtle, and takes a long time. It's not. A, I know that now, and I like that. I'm not mad at that, but change change is like if you've uh, listened or learned or been a historian. I am a historian, not just music, everything. So if you're a fan of history, what you learn is like. First of all, history repeats itself. Can I ask you one question? Yeah. From what point were you like driven on the history of music? Always. Well, history of music, I was. It's kind of like. Wait, 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 look, <clears throat> you became an adult six months ago. Two, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You became. I'm using this like this is very real. You became an adult six months ago. When would you say you became a certified? historian in training even like you were one of Plato's like disciples okay, when, well, when was that point <clears throat> when you walked into that studio? I've been one in training since I was a little kid because how old would you say maybe like eight perfect so like basketball was my first thing I loved history because my dad went to University of North Carolina where Michael Jordan went and so I always had this connection to like well when Michael Jordan was a freshman when he was in high school, my dad was always a fan. Like, he was a UNC fan. So it was like Sam Perkins was number one. Michael Jordan was, or no, sorry, James Worthy was number one. Michael Jordan was number two on UNC. <clears throat> so I was always like, even as a little kid, like, that's really weird. He's the best basketball player in the world. But there was a time period when he was the second recruit. Mm. There was a time period mm. where he didn't make the team. When he didn't make the team also, you know? So... Yeah, he got cut, you know what I'm saying? Sophomore year of high school, Michael Jordan tried out for varsity. They were like, nah, sorry. <laughs> I know this story also because this is what the way I was raised. So being like a, a little kid and a basketball fan and being like, well, there's one singular person who's the most famous, greatest athlete on earth. That's Michael Jordan. Anyone who is, is our age knows about this. It's like, how could there ever have possibly been a time when he was cut from his high school team or wasn't the first recruit? So that always... In Are you similar to Michael Jordan? <laughs> yes. No, 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 no. But what I mean is that sparked my interest in history. Like, how the fuck is that possible that everyone just saw Michael Jordan his whole life and was like, you're okay. And then, like, even when he was drafted, he wasn't the first pick. He was the third pick. Yeah. You know, like... How the fuck could that have happened? And then even yes, I set you up. You set me up yeah. for the Michael Jordan speech. No, no, through through the before that, I asked you how old you were a historian. I asked you the question guiding you to the first part too, right? But that's because of this, right? Michael Jordan's moment was not making a team in high school. Yeah, you like how I'm setting up where we're about to go. Watch that, because <laughs> for real. Because you had the voice. You've known that. Look, your voice was destined to happen, but it's life happening, right? Because let's go into 2 a.m., right, where you had the platform, you had the voice, regardless of what the fuck that was. That was an empty period for you, right? And Mark E. Basie came out <laughs> of emptiness, my G. That was your rock bottom. We'll get there, right? That yeah. was your shit. Right, that yeah. was almost as potent in real. Actually, that was as potent in real life, right? When music kept coming back, the eighth grade, and then the senior year, right? 
And then, fuck, this is a dream, but what the fuck am I doing it for? Who the fuck am I anymore? Who, 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 who the fuck are you? Right? But then after that, you figured out who you were or, or you took ownership of who you become, which was the more brilliant part. So let's take it to there. You like how we just like got there? And that's how you know that like your, your man's here. No, 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 yeah. No, but well, no, 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 there's no, 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 yeah, because I haven't finished to where the no, 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 yeah can make sense. After high school, after taking all of these things very seriously, you, you, you went into a pop group. Let's talk about how that formed and let's talk about what that like meant to you and the development of it and where it was okay. Well, first of all, my pop group was really a bunch of hip hop fans, serious hip hop fans, right? So my guitar player who I talked about before, me and him had decided after like six months in college to leave college and pursue music. And the basis of that was that both of us, all we were doing in college was music and we weren't getting good grades. We were just like doing drugs and like, actually he was not doing drugs, but I, I was in college just You're like- exploring. I was just like, like yeah. nothing, I was not going to class. Yeah. He might've been going to, Matt was going to class probably, but he always would tell me that I spend more hours in the day playing my guitar than anything else. Yeah. So if we have an opportunity, where I could continue playing guitar, I would choose that before academic. Mm. So that worked out. So we moved to LA together and Matt, um, I mean, really like for anyone who knows about Marky Basie, 2AM Club, if you watch old 2AM Club uh, live videos, like Matt is a real genius musician and just, He's a beautiful man. Like, he's a sexy dude. Yeah. And when he played guitar, it was like a very intense thing. And everyone we ever worked with was always way more taken to his talent than my own. Mm. Oh, wow. Which was always, like, interesting because I was wow. a singer was it just and wrote too? the words. Well, it was always other people around us, but it was always two of us. Yeah. It was the two of us were the main people. And Matt is like, he looks like fucking a male model. <laughs> he has like long hair and he plays guitar. Like he can literally play anything with wow. feel, you know? Yeah. So I never was with, I never was in the in the squad where like I was the shit. It was always wow. like, I was like how an MC is to a genius DJ. Oh, you wow. Know? That's it's like, insane. That's, that's literally the opposite of the lead singer syndrome. That, like, <laughs> no, yeah, but you know, but you see, know. but see, I always. Lead singer syndrome no, shit, no, 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 but this is why I always love the Red Hot Chili Peppers because Ant- Anthony Kiedis is like, his musicians like Flea and John Frusciante and the people around Bro. him. Bro. He always, you always know as a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan that like these people are better than Anthony Kiedis. Flea is such a brilliant musician. He's in his own world and he doesn't give a fuck if you don't like, like if you don't acknowledge Twilight Zone when you get in it. Anthony Kiedis on the other hand, whether number two or not, right, 
is questioning everything, is, is questioning his existence, is seeing a friend die, is knowing how many opportunities are gained and lost, is understanding his voice more and more so, is coming into his own, right? No, 100%. And at the end of the day, Anthony Kiedis is the one, he's the one that turns it into Beethoven, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not Flea that did that. 100%. You know, there's better bass players than Flea. But Flea made him better. No, 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 of course. But what I mean is, like, you need to have that spark. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. Anthony Kiedis. Absolutely. Yes. But Absolutely. that's how Matt, like, being around Matt when that's we were little, I never, no, but to me, like, I always knew that when I, I mob around, I tell everyone, now I'm comfortable with myself as a musician, but it's like, Everywhere we go, I basically am a spokesperson for this like shy, quiet, beautiful young dude who was like a genius on guitar. And that was my mentality. It wasn't like for myself. It was like I have somebody with me who's so fucking good that if you watch him do what I see him do every day, you'll You'd like be inspired cry. too. Yeah. So I always felt like when I'm with him, it's not like I'm the main event or nothing like that. It's yeah. just literally I was a spokesperson. And I knew about like early hip hop and shit and I took pride in that. Like wherever <coughs> we go, like I literally we would go to a college, like these same things I was talking about earlier when we would go play. Yeah. There was a there's a bunch of frat dudes who play guitar and I would literally be like, What's the best solo that you can play? Mm. You have you can choose between John Frascante uh, I should definitely remember his name because I know it to death. But the Incubus guy, oh yeah, he doesn't either, bro. Shout out to you, whatever. Right now. But I, I would be like, "What's your best solo that you can play?" Dave Matthews Band or like whatever <laughs> guitar. Like, what's your best solo you can play for like a frat boy who was like trying to stunt on us? And I'd be like, "Matt can play that like yeah. way better than you. Shout Have a that. battle, straight up." And I feel like. Matt, come here. Yeah. Why, why'd you, Sit down. Why do you care so much about? Because that? I just wanted them all to know that, like this kid, this quiet kid I was with, is like his talent is out of this world, and we proved it everywhere we went. And my voice and my words was just like because I only listened to rap music, and that was just turning into like everything at the time. It was like, okay, I don't have to sing. My guitar player buddy. Is better than anyone you've ever seen play guitar, and then I'm like, gonna come like rap. What did that and be mean? A white boy. What, what did that mean for you though? Because it meant everything. It was like everywhere we went in every musical scenario. If you want to talk about hip hop, rap music, it was like, bro, don't talk about that with me. Like I will do, I will sing every song, rap every verse. I got all my own. Like I was like a hip hop kid. And I have confidence in that, even yeah. as a white boy, whatever, it's all good. And then, like, I have my little, like, friend over here, literally is, like, the best musician. He will give you a display that's unlike anything you've ever seen musically and blow your mind. So we had this little force. And everywhere we went, because he was so good at playing guitar, in the, it's like in a physical, like it's like watching an Olympic athlete when you say when you see someone who's a masterful instrumentalist. And it's like everywhere we went, just nobody was as good as him anywhere we went. 
How'd and they feel, would. How'd you feel about yourself though in that? Like I was ago? juiced. I was just like, I don't care because I can sing it. Like I already knew that singing wasn't like cool anymore. It was. <laughs> it was like I already knew rap music was about to be the biggest thing and was the biggest thing, and I was comfortable with what I did, writing words and singing. And then it was like, if you want to talk about music, my best homie is the best. But and like, it, I want to ask you this because. Whether it is or it isn't, I want to make an assumption, right? In hearing this and knowing from from 2 a.m. nightclub, like, there was, like, a rebirth. I kind of feel like it was a little bit of, like, Noel and a Liam Gallagher scenario, right? In an oasis. Because as much as, like, the talented brother is and as much as, like, the singer voice of another brother is, like, their scenario is different because there was egos involved and there was all these other things. This scenario to me is is more juvenile and more tender because it was like in the first soiree, right, of 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 becoming in this group, all we're hearing you speak about is how dope he was and how much you were. I'm show doing him. that almost on purpose because it's so important because it was everything. So it was in, like so instead of veering. I see. I get it. So instead of veering towards what the crutch was, right, I want to veer more towards this. In that experience with 2AM, how long did y'all do that for? I mean, Matt was the same kid who told me when I did my poem, like, you should do that in my band. Yeah. So to me, like, that was my lifeline into doing this. No, so time. when he decided he was going to move with me to L.A., it was like I had a loyalty, yeah. you know? It was like I would not do any of this if it wasn't for you. And so I'm going to, like, promote and propel your ability as far as I can. And I'm going to, like, hitch my wagon to you because you're the best. And, like, you know what it's like when your homie is the best, bro. Like, when your homie is LeBron... <clears throat> no matter if you're good at management and doing all this other shit, it's like you have your homie who's like, bro, my homie will dunk on you and all your friends no matter what. <clears throat> and that's what it was like being Matt Reagan's best friend. It yeah. was like, if you want to talk about music, there's always an arena where music is done at and we can go play the drum kit or the piano or the guitar and he will fucking blow your mind and you'll never have seen anyone that had as, as much rhythm, pocket, feel as him. So it was just like, it, as my entrance into music, my vibe was like, me and my homie are better than everyone. And have and, you kept that with him? <clears throat> no, I'm saying like, when this happened, when we came in the game, it was just like, when we moved to LA, everywhere we went, I was like, I'm hella good also. I'm not, I'm confident in myself. But, like, the package of me and my friend, who's a genius musician in the sense of, like, playing, writing, like, listening to a song and be able to yeah. play it on piano for you. Like, we're the best. So, it was like, everywhere we went, I just had, like, supreme confidence because I wasn't just a rapper or a singer. I was part of a group. Absolutely. And my other guy in the group, I'd never seen anyone as good as him. And are y'all still creating today? No, not at all. So with that being said, what was the moment where, 
how did it start becoming okay tense? well yeah of course so what I, what i'm trying to say is when i started my confidence i came through like no matter if we're broke as fuck don't have nothing there's like this is a beautiful part of the journey i'm, I'm just saying like there's no one as good as matt i get that and we're together so there's that. no one as good as us and then, it was it was then, like a, it was a powerful feeling. Absolutely. No matter how bad we were what doing. What broke that? So as we grew, and then it was true. You know, it was like, okay, I went. We went. We started doing open mics everywhere. We did an open mic. Just me and Matt. They'd be like, come do a paid show. You know, or like we would do battle of the bands. We won every single time. Yeah. Or we would do like um, audition for fucking yo-yo's celebrity rap yeah. showcase <laughs> snoop dogg yeah. and ray j are about to be that's the first time i saw k dot and j-rock like Word. i was with i was in the la scene doing music sending beats that we would make to j-rock when j-rock was was all tde and then there was like this he was other a catalyst kid. yeah TDE. there was this other kid His warner deal like <clears throat> there made was, TDE. yeah there was other kid k dot like I have emails from K Dot from 2006. Like, yo, this beat's not good, bro. You need to send me a better beat. <laughs> like all of them, bro. I'm telling you, bro. I, lo- I love that the stories of K Dot reminisce through all yeah. our interviews. No, yeah. because, bro, if you were here in that time, like you and I, same thing, bro. TDE, Kendrick, all them, fucking. Uh, they just stayed together. Asher, no, but like it was a lot of like. West Coast 2008 to 2011, yeah. 12. Like, yeah. I had multiple exactly shows with Big Sean, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar. Like, all these people, we grew up together. Drake, even, he was like far away from us. He was like Toronto, Miami. Yeah, but Cole wasn't. Yeah, Cole wasn't. But Cole I'm was saying, here. Like, South by Southwest. Like, every time he went to these places, like, we all came up together. So, like, I've been around like I was definitely like Kendrick Lamar fucking he sucks he sounds like some basically (laughs) this all happened to us bro we all do you know why I keep drilling on this fact right because I already got my answer but I'm gonna drill on it again okay and you know where like you know where I'm going but it's it's beautiful because I don't need to be strenuous about it but it's crazy to see right somebody so influential Right, surface level isn't here now. Many won't ask that, but I got the. Is he here now? No. Is the long hair the motto? The the dude, the <laughs> motherfucker that like inspired the motherfucker that the, lit up the, the room. Greatest. Right. Is he here now? No. And the reason why I'm harping on that, again. Being that this is one of those when the curtains close and the lights turn off, experience. At the end of the day, you're not Mark E. Basie when you go to the crib. You're Mark Griffin, right? And Mark Griffin had like a very deep relationship with Matt, the motherfucker that, you know what I'm saying? Like shout out to Phil and his brother with Miko that was going to take us all to the promised land. You were cool being Pippin to Jordan, my G. I respect that. I really was, though. That's really I, no, important. No, but let me go there. Let me go understand. there. I know they already know. And when Matt yeah, listens we're, we're to good. this, he's going to know, baby. too. Yeah, I feel you. We know. Matt, we know. We love you, Matt. Right? But look, now we off that, right? 
Just like the, I thought you were going to take me out on dates. Well, we had a good time, didn't we? <laughs> I am, though, but is it wrong? It's not wrong. There it no. is. I'm, I'm, gonna turn, right? I'm, turning, I'm turning a noose up right now. Is this? Is because this, dog, We in this game especially, my G, we all come up with the homies. We all want to come up with community. It's brilliant to see how much somebody influenced you that isn't here now, right? The question now becomes, what happened between you and Matt? Because what happened between you and Matt leads to another place, right? And that just really exists. This isn't, this isn't the Mark and Matt what happened story. This is the this really happened story we go through it because it's real life. It's not like I'm Harvey Levine with clickbait. No. It's like, yo, cool, we understand this happened. And it's crazy because no other interviewer would, would like to know, like, damn, cool, this dude in this time is talking about after he was drafted and after he built a team that has six rings, shout out to Phil. Y'all had Steve Kerr, you know what I'm saying? Y'all had hella other players, but it was Pippen and fucking Jordan, baby. And you were cool with being Pippen, right? When you were really Jordan. So who's gonna jump, man? Well, I would say, I would say two things. I would say one thing is that when you're around someone, because I think also harping on the historian thing, one thing you learn about history is But like, if you're going to tell me history, tell me about the moment when fucking the, 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 when the Confederates lost. Like, tell me that moment. Matt, Matt and you No, but broke. I will, I will, I will tell you. And set it up it's there. Like, Take me through the history. It's then. just like, basically... I know it's a hard it, point. That's why I no, hope. No, 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 it's not. It's, it's like becoming the person you are is one thing, and how you affect people around you is like another thing. Word. So when you come up around, when you come up around greatness, and you see it and you feel it, whether or not you're like the one who actually was born with it or the one who received it or whatever, it trickles Very off, important. you know, forever. Yeah. And so it's like, sometimes it's like when you hear about like, about like an athlete who was always says like, my older brother was better than yeah. me always, you know? But then he fucked up or not, Matt didn't fuck up, but like my older the brother, younger something, one happened, yeah. something yeah. happened and then like, the middle brother or the little brother, he just happened to be in the right year with the right coach. And then it was like, oh, what you mean, bro? Like, my older brother already taught me all about this. Like, I already know about all this. And then he be turns into Off whatever, top. you know? Off That's top. actually the story of Michael Jordan. Look, look, no, but, no, but look. So, well, uh, yeah. I could tell you. I'm just Off saying top. with Matt, the thing was, he was, he didn't grow up in hip-hop music. Yeah. So I'm not to, talking about mass detriments. I'm just talking no, no, about no, no, but I'm saying like the break. reason like what the way that I uh came into music how I have thus far based on where I come from with yeah. someone like Matt. Yes. Is just honestly that Matt's musical inclination and taste 
was not rooted in hip hop and mine was mm. so it's like he was not he can't understand Migos <laughs> yes like, he can't understand hip hop music because when he was little he was in the place that I moved to you know and I was like in the, like listening he was, to Tupac he, he, only he was, he was loving Flea and Fushanti yeah and all of these course guys. you know what I'm saying like so deep in that yes <clears throat> but he didn't he always like when Kanye started popping and like my band was signed with he was in my you know and when 2M Club was signed like the whole a whole issue was Kanye coming out with the fucking Stronger mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we all listened to Stronger and half of my band was like Stronger is the best song of the last like 10 years mm-hmm. and he was like the song's boring mm-hmm. and we were just I remember him being like this song bores me I was like what do you mean he's like it's just it's too easy like I can play this progression with my left hand in the bass notes my right hand and if I had a keyboard on my right foot and left foot like this is too easy yeah. I'm not gonna be intrigued by this simple ass music mm-hmm. and I always remember that because it was like well shit this is the most popping thing on earth and it's weird to be making music with somebody who overlooks this yeah. because it's too easy and it's true I felt him because to him it was like, I'm trying to work, like Matt was trying to be, and still probably is like trying to appreciate, understand, replicate, um, absorb, and then, you know, build upon like fucking Mozart and like amazing musicians, you know? Well, it's, 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 it's the difference between like, um, being like a virtuoso, like a really technical virtuoso style musician and being a songwriter, someone that can like evoke emotion, someone that can evoke a feeling, some, someone that can inspire something out of someone. Like, And I, I dealt with a lot of like kids like that too. Being a musician, like I was fucking self-taught. I loved fucking West Coast hip hop and punk rock. Those were just like, and I played dirty and I had terrible form. But... I, I, didn't, I never cared. I didn't even have an interest in being like a virtuoso musician. I was like, man, that shit's too hard. I don't really care. I just want to make like banger tracks all day long. And there's nothing to discount that type of person. Like, man, I went to UC, USC and, and, and saw some amazing fucking players. Like guys are like, man, how do you even, I can't even, fa- my muscles will never go that fast. And for them, yeah, I mean, four chords and a repetitive hook is going to bore the shit out of them because there's nothing there. But there's something about that, and, and it's interesting how you saw that difference because it's not about necessarily musicianship. It's about, like, what are you doing to release your, your emotion, your feeling? And for you, coming out from someone who was, like, slam poetry, putting your heart on your fucking stage and leaning mm. it all out there, you weren't thinking about like being technically savvy. You weren't thinking necessarily about like, yo, I'm gonna rhyme like pa 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 with like rhythm. Like I mean, maybe that element was there, but overall, it was about I'm gonna put this shit out there, slam it, and Express I mean, my th- that's self. where your roots come from. You know, that's the and and your boy Matt, his roots come from the musicality side of the technicality and, and aspects like that. 
So when you come to this and someone like you're like, man, how can you not appreciate this Kanye song? Like, do you understand like the way this is impacting pop culture and the way this is like evoking something out of people? It's it's a, a huge difference. And I feel that divide very much exists among uh, musicians, songwriters and in music in general. Oh, yeah. And I think like that's honestly what like the gift and the curse of the whole entire Marky Basie thing that we've created is like, like I'm a hater now <laughs> on a lot of shit. What do you mean? Like, it's a lot of music that I listen to and then it's like people like it, but because of the way that I was raised and the the talent, I'm sorry, but the talent that I was raised in the talent I was raised around, it's just like, it doesn't let me like anything. You know, I can't just like something because it's popular anymore. Yeah. And that came because my entire band, it's not just Matt, like everyone in my band, like my, the keyboard player in my band, who's also like one of my closest friends. Um, he's Macklemore's uh, keyboard player. Just immensely talented, can play every instrument. Everyone in my band was like a fucking could have went to you know Berkeley School of Music and been like a you know that's like the kids that I so played. So who's the drummer yeah. in Toronto? No, that's, band. that's all you gotta say, man. Like, yeah, like all of them were like phenomenal, phenomenal musicians, and they could all get studio musician gigs or play. Like literally, my keyboard player, his name's Dave Dalton. He's a f- fucking genius, also, just like Matt, and he like went back to Seattle. And did nothing, but because he was like one of the best piano players in Seattle, like when Macklemore's piano player, it was like who's the best piano player in Seattle? He All this in. random fucking kid, you know, who went to your high school, but he lives over here. He's not in any band or playing, but it was like he's the best. And that's like he was. It was my group. Yeah, it was just crazy talent. So even after Matt, whatever. So it's not that. As time progressed, I always started to realize, like, they're listening to you, Mark. <laughs> like, they don't even care about the guitar anymore. Really? Hold on. <laughs> or the piano. What was that point? Because that was, no, but like, it started, no, it really, it really started to happen <laughs> no, because. I, you know what's crazy? I don't want to be an asshole here, right? It's because the affection and the affinity for Matt, I get and I respect. And to be honest with you, bro, I love. I'm not Wendy Williams right now. You feel me? <laughs> I love the fuck out of that, right? But knowing, like, being able to see and appreciate Matt at that moment and also know, understand, and respect Mark at this moment, right? I know that a moment happened and, like, there were so many intricacies within that. That's why I speak on that like that. Well, what's funny is that the whole time what you start to realize when you're with expert A1 fucking musicians is like even them like the best drummer in the world the best bass player like I'm very in touch with the music with like the instrumentalist community almost even to this day you know like I keep tabs on fucking Brian Fraser Moore and Spanky like fucking Thundercat like I, I know about Bass yeah. players and drummers and yeah. guitar players. And straight up. I care about that. But you love what the you, art. Yeah, what you start to realize is that like these guys, they always rally behind a voice. 
Yes. And it's never about the best voice. They just, even yes. them, like they rally behind like a vision, you know, a voice, a vision. When number two, when when Jordan becomes number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, and I, as as we progress in the two AM club thing, what became frustrating was I started to realize like every time we take a step forward, I started to feel like it's because of me, you know, but. They I never, love that we got here, but bro. I'm not really like the leader. What? <laughs> Thank you. I, I respect you, Max. I love you. That was yeah. no, that was Max saying we got it. The respect. Yeah. <laughs> he was literally on the edge of his seat, and I feel him. I love him. <laughs> yeah. 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 He was wait, He's no, been but, waiting. No, but we got he, there. He, yo, he's been waiting. Oh, he literally. got there. Okay. Yeah. No, but, no, but okay. look, the, the, the beautiful thing is like, <laughs> as forceful as I can be, and also like, literally. In this point of my inebriatedness that I got with Miko, and I, I literally voiced the Joe and he gave me the all right, is because we edited certain parts where, where I went on a fucking vagina monologue and I literally was sending Joe notes like, okay, you sound like an idiot, right? And then I, and then I send him a full note of like a three minute period. I was like, I want to tell you to shut the fuck up right now. Talking to himself. I talking was to himself. Talking to myself. Talking to himself. But I know yeah. in this moment I don't. That was the beauty of it. Is is the like the reason I was asking for the the, the madness? No, okay, well I was gonna give it to you, man. I'm just saying. I, but I wasn't calling you out for not mm. giving it to you. You just happened to, and he just happened to jump out of his seat, and I like acknowledged that, not to like prove my point, but just to say like we're good here, Matt. <laughs> Matt, calm down, right? I feel you, but we're here now. We, <laughs> we got it. So, okay, so there was a point. When I was like, okay, I understand that what's making us move commercially and what's making people come to the shows, which is commercially also, is like the melody and the lyric. You know? So so I started to feel more and more like I have a I have a part in our success. You know, I always <laughs> felt glad, like I'm glad you felt that. Yeah. So and and as that continued to increase in Two AM Club, what was crazy is there was also another uh, rapper singer, who I haven't talked about yet, but his name was Tyler Cordy, and he was also a fucking genius in so many ways. But even even him, he was a rapper, and he was also like he grew up when in the Seattle hip hop scene. Yeah, and. He's fucking amazing. Like, if anyone looks up Tyler Cordy on SoundCloud and you listen to how good his pocket is and how good his stories and words are, it's phenomenal. Best believe they will, bro. Best believe that you will. And you will know if you really pay attention, you'll be like, like, fuck. Just, he's like a master. Just like everyone else I talked about before. But I didn't give him that because we did the same thing. So it wasn't like I never, I didn't bang for him as hard as I banged for Matt, or you know, because that was like those are the people supporting. But, but the, the beautiful thing and is, and Matt came you, first. You didn't, you didn't bang for either of them as hard as you banged for yourself, <laughs> and, and that's and that's, that's where we get into. Yeah, I know. okay, okay. So what, even so, what I'm trying to say in the Two AM Club whole thing, it was like I had so much admiration and sauce, my bass player was also equally just like a music school person who could play. He was older than all of us. He liked like Duran Duran and shit. 
and like 80s. kings gravitate 80s. toward kings, bro. Yeah, so, know that. But he was so fucking good at bass. So it was always like everywhere we went, and just I'm sorry to keep going, but Sauce just sorry? Sauce just got I married. Sauce just got Sauce, married. Sauce, congratulations! Hold on, let's round of applause. Yeah. Sauce, you got married. Shout out, Sauce. Okay, so there was a wedding band there, and it was like a professional, like, adult band. Of course band. it was, you know, bro. Like really Sauce good. wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. We know this. Yeah, but we were listening to the band, and we all decided, we were like, well, we have to go play a Twam Club song. You know, like, we have to, like, Sauce has to play bass at his wedding. Yeah. So Sauce's friend, Doug, went to the band and was like, yo, you know, the groom, was a bass player in a band, you know, they used to be like signed and like on a record deal, toured around the country. They gotta come in, like, would you mind if they like took your instruments for a second? And the girl's like, oh, it's okay, like, you know. And then like, when everyone grabbed their instruments, it was on. We were so much better than <laughs> than the, <laughs> and like, this was a really good band though, you know? Like, these guys are like music school guys yeah. who are like really good, yeah. but it's like, it was like immediate, like, nah, bruh. Like, you don't understand. Like, this is one of the best guitar players in the country. Piano player. Like, this is Macklemore. He plays with Macklemore. Like, Macklemore could have anyone play piano for him that yeah. he wants. And, you know, and this guy no, saw us. He, he could have that after his pill addiction. Let's be real. Everybody well, I don't know. I don't actually I don't know about that. Well, I'm sure. No, yeah. I know, just like you're a historian, <clears throat> I brought that up. He got okay. there. Yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. Shout out, Ben Haggerty. Straight up. Uh, but I'm saying, like, it was, like, a hella nice feeling at the wedding. It was, like, we went up and got and, like, played. And, like, you have to imagine how many grooms have probably demanded, like, we're going to play a song and play, like, a cover song. Yeah. And, the like, the band was, like, looking at us, like, <laughs> don't touch. Like, no one's ever played my guitar that well. So... Anyways. And you were looking at him like, bro, like, we haven't even played your guitar that way. Yeah, like, let us fly. So, anyways, in my career with Twam Club, we were signed when I was 22. I got a $10,000 check. More, but at one time. <laughs> yeah. We moved to New York in the same month, and it was on. And you did show cigarettes. Yeah. We were fully, like, I was all about it. I felt like I had the best musicians around me. And we fell into basically a time period, I feel like, where music and culture changed so much that in that time period, there's really nobody that exists anymore. Like, if you came uh. up in like 2009 to like 13, it's very few, like, this is the time of, like, on, like, the hipster, dope, like, indie rock side, you had, like, MGMT and Passion Pit and yeah. shit like that. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, the killers, that doesn't exist anymore. The hip-hop was, like, which does exist, but a lot of it doesn't, was, like, Drake, J. Cole, Wale, Charles Hamilton, shit like you and not like shit was popping and like actually yeah. that all actually moved through because that was what was the most important thing and my band what's interesting is that I we myself and the other singer and piano player grew up in hip hop music 
So I toured with like Big Sean, like my my CMJ showcase show in New York City in Two AM Club was like Two AM Club, Big Sean, uh, Theophilus, what up, Sean? Theophilus London. We gonna see him tomorrow for his little like uh, album listening party. Oh yeah, oh yeah, me too. For sure, I'm gonna be there too. Uh, so like we were always surrounded by like the freshest hip hop, J Cole too, all this shit, you know. But we were like doing this weird and we were all white and the guys were all cute. And so like we were a boy band and it was like devastating to me. That wasn't you though. Because I, no, it was literally none of us. It was, it was just like, what the fuck? Like you guys are putting us in the, in the boy band box. I'm I'm out here with fucking J Cole and big Sean. Like, don't make me like, Gas is 16 This is how I felt Like I would be sitting there <laughs> Wow Like I remember one time I w- You remember uh, Chitty Bang mm-hmm. Like Chitty Big Sean This kid XV And J. Cole Were like XV, In a cypher wow. Word. They were in a cypher And I was like In like a Jean jacket And I had like Long hair <laughs> And I was like, I will come through and like outgas all of you yeah, right you now. Yeah, you murdered them. I was so mad. And they were all like, no, bro, like you're the singer of 2M Club. <laughs> like a boy. Wow. Man. Like I was pushed to the side and I was like, I can't believe that I've gone this far away Oh, from what fuck. I like know I am. And like even Big Sean, like when we were touring and shit, I always, adm- like he was one, one like XV or like Chitty or I mean, there was a million other hip hop acts at the time, but most of them, I always felt comfortable singing. This sounds fucked up, cause I was like, I know I'm better at rapping than all of you. You know, me and Big Sean got very close enough to the point where I gave him the Alchemist. <laughs> really? <laughs> I bet. I'm, yeah. Know that you can ask him that. No, too. but I, what I was gonna say is like, there was certain people that I was like, I'm not as good at rapping yeah. as him. Big Sean. When I first heard Kendrick, I was like, forget about it. <laughs> I'm, hella, I'm hella glad I could sing. <laughs> J. Cole, Drake, like all the Wale, all the people. But like everyone else, I was like, when we were touring, I was like, even though you look at me like I'm literally a long haired, like white boy, jean jacketed up singer. Like you have no idea, but I will wrap circles around you. What'd that do for you, though, being an artist that was put in that box? Knowing that you were in a scenario where you were like, yo, how do the powers that be have me in well, this whole ass box? It wasn't the power. Like, I felt like or it how, was how I, literally, I literally just felt like this is where you stumbled because where you're from. Because also I was very sensitive about um, appropriating culture. And I was just like, to me, when I grew up, like, if you rap, my way of fucking with you was like, yeah. how hard are you? Like, in the Bay... Like Magma, Mac Dre, E40, Too Short, fucking Sugar Wolf, Pimp, uh. Richie Rich, like 90s rap stars in the Bay, we all knew were real pimps, drug dealers, or at least we thought, you know, gangster ass yeah. rapping forte. It was like, it wasn't about like how good you can rap. It was like, You've been somewhere where I really want to hear be. your story, yeah. you know? So, like, just being a white boy, it's like, it doesn't matter if you can imitate that, bro. 
It's like, who gives a fuck? Because you weren't Matt, bro. Your, <laughs> long, your long hair wasn't like Wilhelmina model. Yeah, no, it was like, but it was like, why do I want to listen to you rap just because you're good at rapping? Yeah. I want to listen to you rap because you're telling me a story about fucking blowjob Betty. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I just want to know about something I don't know about. Yeah. And then, like, when Eminem came out, and I was like, but even him, it was like, damn, he's from, like, some whole other, like, weirdo, trailer park crazy shit. Like, I don't want, I never wanted to do that. And but, so, like, but when Asher Roth came out, that oh. was the first one where it was, it like, connected with you. you're just, like, well, he didn't, I was, like, you could just be, like, white and normal and rat. <laughs> you know? I was literally, like, that's not even, like, how could you do that, Asher? <laughs> wow. I was like, why do you get to do that? Wow. Like, I feel you. I was just like, you're from Pennsylvania and you're just white and you're just going to rap. Like, we all have, like, hard things. But, like, you're not from the ghetto. Like, nobody, like, shot you. <laughs> you're not a pimp. Your and daddy's not a pimp. And came after him, though, from Pittsburgh, too, right? No, I, I, and, and Max, Max mom and my mom went to the same high school, Pittsburgh. No, I'm saying... <laughs> I'm telling you, bro. Like, they're friends. They're friends. They're friends, you know? Yeah. They're like, Taylor Gang is Taylor Alderdice Park or some shit like that. Like, these are like, my mom is from Pittsburgh, you know? It's just like a Pittsburgh thing. So, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying all that shit. Like, my generation was like, bro, you don't get to rap unless you're really with the shit. And even though a lot of motherfuckers weren't, it was like when I heard Asher Roth rap, I was just blown away. Not that he wasn't good. I thought it was hella good. That's incredible. But I was just like, why do you get to do that? Like the whole point was that you're just like a happy white guy with happy, nice parents. Like you don't get to express yourself in that way. We're sharing this one. All right. <laughs> so when he came out, that was a big Eminem. I wouldn't think like that. Eminem was more like yeah, but Eminem was way before. No, no, that's what I'm saying. When I heard him, I was like, "You're also yeah." Eminem, Eminem was already on, but he was like already battling his demons with being like. But his demons were obvious demons of like poverty and fucking crazy shit. Connect to that? No, it's not that I couldn't. Like I felt him, but I just knew when I heard that that wasn't like like you come like he came from the same thing Tupac came from. You know, ex- mm, extreme, true. marginalized, impoverished <laughs> Americans, you know? Yeah. And, like, for me, Ooh. not being from that, I was just like, rap music is not my art form. Even though it's my favorite thing in the world, I'll never do that because it would make me feel weak. But that's a testament you know? to the artist that you are. It really is. And motherfuckers now don't care about that at all. That's, fuck, well, that's fuck gone. Them. Those motherfuckers don't matter. No, but I'm just saying, like, that disappeared because of, like, Asher Roth. And then it turned into Mac Miller, and then it turned into whoever. And now it's like, and all those people are good. And I think they're all become successful or not based on their talent. But because of my age and just, like, the sweet spot that I fell into, like, I had to, like, sing. (laughs) And I never wanted to sing. And singing was never really. Yeah, I was were never you, a good in, singer. In two AM club, were you singing a rap? Or I was just, singing, but okay. like I sang because I just wanted to do music. But like rapping wasn't an option. 
You know, it's like so now you had, now you actually had to be a singer. I had to be a like when we would do music in high school. Did you not fuck with your singing? I I mean no not at all like I never thought of that oh. as like a thing, and honestly I wasn't. I had to learn music theory to become like a good singer. Wow, it's also different when you're singing in a band too. Well, like, hold on, learning music theory to become a good singer. How many singers go through that? Man, None. I, I wish more did. Dude. <laughs> None though. I, I wish I wish more did. No, well, one thing with my advantage was that since I listened to so much hip hop and R and B, like I didn't ever concern myself with how good or how uh, robust my voice was. I just always thought about it in terms of like n- note choices. So your voice is like triple Bro. M titties. Did, so. No, but did you take voice lessons? No. <laughs> oh, you never took voice lessons. No, like I no, I, that's not true. I have taken voice lessons like later on just to like that was part of my uh, learning. But what I'm saying is like I already knew from jump that like my singing voice was not my like power like in my band it was like my guitar player is better than all you and your singer is probably better at singing than me but like he he never listened to Tupac so he doesn't he didn't have the, the, right. the essence <laughs> right, right, so it doesn't right. matter the fact that my guitar player is better than all you yeah. all I gotta do is say dope shit and I'm better than like together yeah. we're better than you Yeah. and it was true like every battle of the band there was always like a like a fucking singer or like a soul singer or something but then we would come up and we would win everything we ever did we always won and it was like even in Santa Cruz in my one year of Santa Cruz when I still couldn't sing I always made a bigger impact when I would do like any type of performance just cause like they were all trying to sing and like that was already done like no one cared about that anymore so yeah. in, in becoming a singer without the band support, aside from just being a singer, what was that like starting to experiment without even the the crutches around you? Well, like I did, there was like certain singers that I heard, like Bill Withers was the first one who's like, he sings in like a, a more, e- he like in an easy, a more easy register. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't sing like Stevie. Yeah. He just kind of keeps it in this little pocket of notes that like every grown man could sing. So it's like if you're aware of the notes and and the words that you're saying and you have confidence in them. And that goes back to like Frank Sinatra and shit. Like I could sing every Frank Sinatra song, not like him, but I'm saying just musically. I can like do that because most men can just do that. Like wow, I can do I can do that in the shower, but I know I'm not tight. But I'm not, I'm not like every man is not tight at it, but that's not like it's in your capability. You know, it's not like something that you have to be a musician to do. Exactly. It's yeah, more I like it's more like be a man and be confident. Talk that shit like you really believe it. Mm-hmm. And then if you have an ear, you can do it. And I always had an ear. I have really good like if two notes are fucking not in tune with each other, like the beating of them will fucking when drive me fucking crazy. When did you start believing in your ear? My which ear, is, like is, I started to realize when Matt was tuning his guitar, you know, like Matt has like damn near perfect pitch and then I almost did like two. Mm-hmm. I could always hear when shit was flat or sharp 
or when you know when chords were not rubbing right with the bass note like i could always i always knew and it would drive me fucking crazy also so i knew even though i couldn't sing yeah even though i couldn't sing like what i could hear like i can hear that shit and it's true and it's been true like i've always attracted the best musicians and the best producers i can see why though yeah, because I always could hear it. And it's like, even to this but day... But even outside, I always can hear it, bro. Like, you're such a genuine soul. <laughs> There's a lot of motherfuckers that can hear the shit that, like, dictate and are tyrannical with the shit, right? But, like... Bro, trust again, again, me, if I Waldo, could do it, if I could do it, I would be more tyrannical about it. But, but since but, I can't do it, I have to... But that's the beauty of it. That's what I'm speaking on. You can't do it. Fine. <laughs> you know you can't do it. Fine. But you also know that you're a team player. I just appreciate the fact, which is our segue, right? That you went from being number two, a fan of number one, to understanding that you were number one and your voice was number one, and that whether you believed you couldn't sing or you couldn't, you started to focus on that. So after 2 a.m. club, right, what, what what was it that took Mark E. Basie okay. to that point of exploring solo to where even though great musicians came and went to where you literally, the voice needed to be the catalyst to bring anybody in? Well, this, this comes to the era of Josh, who's my manager now. Who I grew up with also. And he, uh, we were both living in LA together, and he kind of was introduced back in my life as like a friend of a friend. Like, mm-hmm. I remember Josh from high school. Like, of course, I was like, we played basketball together. I've known him since I was like 10. Yeah. And he was in finance. And JP. he was, yeah, JP. He was listening to my music, and he was like, man, I just gotta tell you, like, I think you should be solo. <laughs> Like who the fuck are you? I was like, who the fuck are you? Damn, you know, you don't even know anything about music. Thank God. And and he was just like, bro, you're not really like putting on. (sighs) That was like his whole thing. He was like, everyone that we grew up around, because to that circle that I lived in, like that was Jay Palomino. To that's like the music I grew up in. They didn't give a fuck about how good Matt was or nothing. They were like. Why you like doing music and not putting on? For real. Like, we're from the Bay. You're supposed to be, like, putting on for us just how... Because a bass player other, can't put on for yeah, nobody, like, on, dog. Bro. Let's like, be talk real, that dog. Shit. Shout talk out to your shit. flea love. Like, but Anthony was going to do it regardless. Yeah, he was like, talk that shit, bro. So, as you know, I learned so much about the music industry from 2M Club. We were signed to RCA. Pre-Tunji, so, pre Tunji. Y'all pre-tungy. lucky y'all got him too. Yeah, good job. You know. And don't get it twisted without Tunji. Exactly. I don't know where the fuck y'all be Exactly. At. Interscope, y'all lost. But we know what Tunji did for yeah. y'all too. And you know what I'm saying? Like like I know about all this shit now. So I'm glad you did. I, yeah, I was I was part of I seen all that. And Josh was like this finance this, guy. This fucking resource. To me, that was just about like being like a friend at first. Yeah. But it was like, damn, everything you're saying is really like true. And as as Two M Club 
became harder to function within and the business around it started to collapse. I just kind of like fell in with Josh and it was like his messages to me, which was always like, believe in yourself. You know, it's you. It's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you. It's nobody else. It's you, it's you. It's you. I just started to be like, fine, you're right. So yeah, went to AM Club, you know, I wrote an email to the guys like, bro, we got to stop this. It just and they kn- and they knew it was up. only you that could keep it going. Yeah, that's the craziest and honestly, part. Honestly, like all of them, nobody was ever mad at me, and we all they still love each been. other. <laughs> and they all have. know. I know they know. Like Matt could definitely still become like uh, a renowned musician or but whatever. He's not right now. Dave did. Like that's and you know. Dave did. Yeah, Macklemore's and and. Tyler and Sauce, same thing. Like, they could do anything with music, like, whatever. But they were always, like, since the time that I wrote that email, like, I want to end this and, like, start on something new. How old were you when you did that? When you did that? 23. about to Yeah, I feel you. You like how I called me out before you called me out? I was waiting for it. That's how much love we have. I was like, wow, I just said that. No, no, no. Uh, this was like, you know, four years ago. Yeah. Three or four years ago. Yeah. And uh, they never, like, gave me a hard time about it. It was just always like, okay, if you ever want to do, like, do more music, we're going to do that too. And that's it. And so immediately, like, when that happened, I jumped into it with Josh. And it was in a... At that time, I had, like, linked up with Knickknack, which is, like, the whole next phase. My brother. Yeah, which is what's crazy is, like, when you come from greatness in music, like, I met Nick. I met a lot of people in the same time I met Nick. You know, me and Nick met at Shaqib's crib. Yeah. <laughs> when Nick was on the couch with his Fruity Loops, right? Yeah. Just wanting to get but on. But this is how me and Nick met, too. But I this was is, always, this, like, this from the where, first time I is, met this Nick. This was before the hoes were even loyal or not. Oh, you yeah. know what I'm saying? But from the first time I met Nick, I was like, oh, you're like Matt. Like, I already know what this is when I meet someone who's great at this shit. Nick is a motherfucking monster. Yeah. You understand me? And I'm saying, like, like the first day that me and Nick met, we went straight to the fucking grocery store. What year was this? Like, maybe 2010. It makes sense. Because that Nick that I spoke about was 2009. Yeah, so it was like, well, we met, the first time we had a session was like in this time, and then. When, so when did you know that Nick? Because Nick been. You know, well, no, I knew Nick was, I knew who Nick was, like, from Go Dave, and I dog, knew what was happening in the back. was, dog, know this, Nick, Nick, right? I wasn't even that music guy, nor, like, I literally would just graduated college. Which is why I couldn't fulfill that. Nick was that dude that wanted music and literally until he got it, got it. That's what we know. Right? When I was with you and I, I, I met Nick at Blue Monkey, right? On one of their showcase nights, right? And Nick was like, Noosh, like, dog, you know anything? Get me on. This is pre Nima. Right? News, like, they get me on, what's good? Like, who we gonna fuck with? And I was just, like, just starting, like, I was with you and I, but I was, like, I also wasn't the guy that was, like, yeah, dog, I got you. I was, like, bro, like, like 
off top, like, know that if I know something. But Nick always wanted That's the thing. Nick didn't give a fuck about Matt at that point. No, Nick, he never has, bro. I know. Nick Nick gave a fuck about Knack, right, which no, was his, uh, his second given name. Yeah. But Nick got that, and it became Nick Knack, right? No, 100%. But, but, but he... But he's the most loyal. Off top, to all, I know that. All of his maths. But, but look. And that's look. me and Bobby Brackens. No, but know everyone what the, is no, starting but, no, six. But look, off top, know what the beauty of that is. You could be selfish about your craft, right? And still be seen in the same light as Matt was. What's good and what I always found when I, when I met someone like Nick mm. or like Matt or whatever. God bless like, you, Nick. Yeah, it's because of. People like Matt that like, when I met the next person that had that type of immense talent, it was like, I didn't have to worry like to impress him. I was like, he's gonna fuck with me forever. Oh, bro. <laughs> and he's gonna wanna fuck with me and I don't even have to worry about it because you're just not as good as Matt. <laughs> he's Straight just up. And it was like, I always knew, like I already led the charge of people like, by that point, I hadn't realized that even though Matt and Dave... But he was better. Yeah, like, even though they were more talented, it was he like... He wasn't, though, but he was whatever, better. Whatever, talented in that way, the the way the way of, like, music. Like, I approach this like I approach sports when I was yeah. little. It's like there is a component of, mus- of musicianship that is just like... Absolutely. You can prove, you know? It's not opinion-based. It's like when someone... Just can smoke your ass on a guitar. Yeah, you know. Mm, off rip. <laughs> you know, I feel music, you. You know, singing too, but not like I feel like no matter what, I could kill everyone at singing, even if I'm not as good at singing them. Because singing is more objective and how much you believe in what it's you're so doing. It's so beautiful me to hear the, for me to hear that knowing. No, that but singing, come on, bro. I'm no, not I'm trying saying, to be I'm too, saying, I'm saying I'm not trying beautiful. to be overly humble. It's like, but, but did I say that? Well, yeah. For me like, to say beautiful, does that mean overly humble? No, no, but I mean... Hey, never be humble in my presence. Because your humble is something that I could never see. Your humble is you in the studio. Your humble is not telling me how fucking lit you are and how fucking ill your falsetto has gotten. Okay, Fuck your humble. Never be humble in front of me. Okay. I want you to say, Noosh, I'm that motherfucking dude, right? And you know it. You know why? Because I know you're humble... Is the time that but I've listen, never been with but you, listen. and where this motherfucker right here on my right is shooting you, hoping he can get the notes in a picture. Okay, but what I'm saying is, it's like, it's because I've been around people that are like really that good. People are gonna think that I'm a certain way with my talent, but if you really know me, like. What and if you they, work with me every day, what, what you'll realize, think? you'll realize, you, no, I'm telling you, if you ask Got Mac, it. even, he's right here. Mac he would tell you. Here. No, 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 I'm telling I think that, I, I honestly think that, Mac, you would say, I, you've I, been around me for Mac, two years. Mac, you better say I would here. think, I would think that you would have figured out by now that my best talent is not my musical ability. It's, it's just like motherfuckers around me that I choose to be around me and that like the energy that I choose to receive is top fucking level. Do you think and I can I find it that? anywhere. But do I disagree with no, that? No, no, I'm not saying you disagree, but I'm saying what that is is art because it's like <coughs> I choose 
artistic integrity driven. The greatest artist still, Mark. Yeah, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. It's like people I don't really that. understand that, and it's like a well, lot of also a lot of a lot of musicians though, who have weak ass managers. And I could call you all out by name, but I you wouldn't do it. You don't need to, because yeah. we're not going to edit yeah, shit Yeah, but I'm saying podcast. a lot of musicians who are really dope, who flop, it's because the squad around them is weak as fuck. And you guys are not smart enough, and you're not artistic enough. Speak to them. To realize, like, when you have beauty around you and somebody amazing. And it's like, bro, if, if you can't recognize that and the people around you, like, who gives a fuck? You know, well, if and, you can't recognize that, it becomes what are you doing it for? But, if but you, no, but it becomes but, but like you, that's but if you, you knew also. That, you'd understand what you were doing it for in the first place. Yeah, and so it's like to me, it's like I don't feel insecure about my limitations as a musician anymore because I've always been around the best musicians, the best managers, the best fucking everythingers. Because I always feel like I could find that in other people, and that's. That's the reason that I'll bang for Matty Reagan <coughs> for life. And it's the same thing with Nick. Now, it's like me and Nick have literally to this day, we have not like done as well together. Like we, me and Nick have never made a smash together. You, you know, you, you loyal. Won't, you won't for a few years. No, no, this. no, we will. No, we did now. But I'm just saying, but like, you know, all of our success has come independent of each other. But the bond that we have is so strong based on how much, like, musical connection we had that it's like nothing else matters because we both... Because Nick Knack was in Go Dave with the Jinx and with Bobby Brackens, and he was around greatness too. You know, just like I was around Matt, he was around the Jinx. If you ask anyone from the Bay, the Jinx is one of the greatest singers of all time. (laughs) And it's like, Nick would tell you right now, the Jinx is better than Chris Brown. Can I tell you this on some true shit? Right. The, biggest the Jinx reason, is the greatest of all Nick, time. No, 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 no. Look, Nick, whether this this segment is compartmentalized or not, the only reason why I say that you and Nick won't make it right now, whether you have it or not, I feel you. No, we do have it. Bro. But even if you have it, it's about a chicky, and like I don't think that's that's it. <laughs> I could be wrong. Is this? You're somebody that came up watching Andre Bocelli and his fucking symphony. I did watch that. Nick, okay. Nick is somebody, right, that literally has absorbed his atmosphere and loved his culture and utilized the tools to him. Nick was not Matt, where he was so eclectic in his like studies of the historian. Nick is not a historian. No, he's not. Okay. Yo, he's a Bay Area rap historian. Somebody go try to battle Nick. Look, look, you're not presenting him with an award, and this isn't a teleprompter. I will, though. I I know you will, and I will too. And the only reason why I'm telling you that it's not right now, right? is that I know that there's an appreciation for your music. Y'all may have one on some bro shit. I'm not saying y'all not gonna have one. Y'all gonna have one, right? Because Nick, in his path, has hits. Nick, in his path, is making music 
in the sphere of the music business, and he's also a businessman, man, right? So outside of outside of the music that you and Nick may be making, y'all gonna have your fucking like smash, and it's gonna be way bigger than loyalty, and it's gonna be way deeper than a meaning. Yeah. Right. No, it's that's actually the of it. no. It's it's a, that's very true. It's like our styles are are so different. That's what Fest always says too. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm me glad and, he did. Fest, what's good with you? Fest, you know that's him and Nick are best friends, and me and him are best friends, and he kind of like bridged the gap between like me and Nick and, fell and, in and, first, and and, 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 and Riggs bridged the gap between me and all of them. So what yeah, up, Ricky? You good, Jay Rich? Ricky Rack. Uh, but you know, Fess is like my manager now too, with Josh, and like that's my, you know, that's my dude. That's like my best friend, fucking manager guy, and he, uh, in the same way, I feel like the same way that I always found musical talent, I found it in that shit too. And Fess is a fucking genius, and even him, he'll be like, he has Nick on one side, and he has me on one side, and. Nick, Nick fully brought him into this into this whole entire world. They were starting six. Yeah, I they were starting you. six. On your bitch. <laughs> and, uh, and I took Fest. YGLM. Yeah, I took I took Fest, <laughs> I took Fest into like tour tour managing. Well, Bob took mm. him first, but then I took him into further tour managing and then into management. And it's like he's been like a a very good mediator between me and Nick and just like he's always been the one to be like at the end of the day your styles are different and it's true it's very true but but it's been it's always been hard for me because Nick has always been the most talented person I knew which is what I always learned as a singer rapper lyricist melody writer you just want to be around like you know what's wild for me though, like, yeah. and I'll tell you the beauty of like a very intricate detail here, right? Is because Matt was super talented. You were actually like a champion of oh, Matt. I was a champ. Right? I am a no, champion look, in Nick too. No, I know this. Let me get there. Matt was one of those where you knew that like his prowess had no attachment to the soul of your music. Nick, on the other hand has the ultimate essence, embodiment, and procurement of whatever the fuck you had been influenced by off top. But at the same time, Nick, like, you're dealing with one extreme with another. And the wildest shit is, you're right in the middle. Whoa, hold on, but let me get there. (laughs) Right? Is it this? Nick has understood the game and his path at the same time, I can't really speak on the intricacies of it, but like the simplicities of it, I can't. Nick's path is he's been able to maximize, right, the simplicity of it. Matt got lost in the complexity of it, right? You're in the middle of both of those. The reason why I also acknowledge the fact that Matt is still a presence and like, in your mind, if Matt can come back and be the rock star that he can, you literally like give him a bear hug. 
like have him do the jump off Johnny that was done here, right? And do that. Nick at the same time, cool, right? The beauty of creatives in their path, the beauty of you post-map understanding the importance of your voice and finding it, right? Is that now you realize like, bro, like although I have an emotional affinity here, emotional affinity here, right? Me being a person that understands me knows that I'm still here, right in the middle. I'm not gonna take any gambits at all, but I have teams around me that understand that look, I'll be creating with them, I'll be creating with them, and I'll also be creating like elsewhere. That's the beauty of this game. The Mark E. Basie, the finding his sound. How has that journey been for you, bro? Like you, you, you've literally, like look, this, this is the beauty of it also is that like you're a Bay baby. The Bay has been rising. Just like LA in 09 when I came in, that's the Bay in like 2012 to now when you're coming in again, right? Yeah. In that, yes, you're fortunate to be going on the road with G-Eazy, but me as a fan and as also somebody in the background that would much rather be in the background and look at his man's, Mark Griffin, and watch him rock, I'm like, dog, I cannot wait for you to get it. It's crazy because when I see you rock, G, when I see you just like being you, it gives me the same essence that I had with Dot when I first met him. And I was able to get in into like the, the, the mind of Dot way more surface level than with you, right? But you can appreciate a creator. You can appreciate that, yes, great musicians are going to come your way. But what I can appreciate is because you're a fucking great one in your own right. You also know where you may not be so strong, but you also know where you have a voice and why you decided to do it. And now with this whole marquee basically, when it comes from like only for the poets, when it comes from like the East Hollywood joint, and then also to the groovy people jump off, right? Now we're here again, right? Is that you are blessed to be in this scenario. You are becoming more and more. You know what I'm saying? How has it been in, in really going through and also understanding that you're going to be collaborating with way more people coming from a spot where you've always had the greats gravitate towards you and blossoming in your own right because you know you have a purpose now? Well, now... It's the same thing as like since I've been an adult yeah. for six months. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> nah, but, Shout out to 2016 nah, nah, to 2017. There, there does come a time when um, you have to own your shit and just recognize what you bring to the table. Huh. And um, I think that at this point in my music career anyways, Regardless of the success that success that we have, yeah. it's just kind of like now, I know that I gear people who love music and who are really good at music towards um, writing songs that are meaningful and that mean something to me. And I sort of uh, I pride myself on 
being an inspiration to the people around me on almost like a song by song basis because yeah. wow. when you're a musician you know the the greatest thing that you can do is create a work that you were a part of that expresses yourself and that you mm. feel proud of you know and when you do that consistently you feel worthy and you feel happy you know wow. and uh yeah so for me now at this point it's like when i work with producers you know, like my uh, main collaborator, Count Basie, who has a whole other fucking plot line in this whole thing. Yeah. To make a long story short, that's also someone I went to high school with, who I wasn't good friends with. I went to college with for the short time. Still wasn't good friends with, but always kind of admired his... Um, he was like uh, he's also a hip hop kid, a Jay he's Dilla. He's also, he was very, like, he's also very much like JP. Yeah, he settled down very early and got oh, his yeah, family yeah. straight. No, yeah, very a very settled, uh, comfortable dude. But like, as opposed to where Matt Reagan was like a Frischante disciple, he's like a Jay Dilla disciple, mm. you know, which was more in line with what I was really into. You know, like, even though I I kind of uh, pushed back against him for a long time. I convinced him to quit his job in advertising and a graphic design and move to LA. And another one. Yeah, another one. Bites yeah. the dust. <laughs> hey, shout out to the fact that like in the Bay, it became the Silicon Boom and the voice that you are. Shout out to the fact that I've made a lot of motherfuckers quit their jobs. <laughs> no, but yeah. Oh, yeah. But look, as much as you needed them, they needed no, you, my and, and you, But that's like, I know that now. Yeah. And I, I do like when you the the older you get and the more you work through your career, no matter what it is, like the thing you you start to really take pride in is just looking at your boys uh, grow. Yeah, whatever they do, you know. Straight so it's up. like if it's fucking Mac or Count or Fess or Josh or Bill or Nick Knack, uh. you know what I'm saying, or Bob or Fess, like it's like. The thing that makes us all tick at this point is just watching each other get better at what we all do. Absolutely. And because that's a reflection of yourself, you know, so it's like if I'm getting better, harder, faster, stronger. (laughs) What's up, yay? What's up, yay? I want like that's how you know that you are. And it's like I don't want nobody on earth to be as good at what they do if they're doing the same thing as any of those people I just talked about. Straight up. And I expect my people to be, you know, competing with the best of them. And I know they expect the same thing of me. And so it's like, that's become what it's all about at this point. It's like Marky Basie, one of the reasons that I I never wanted to have my real name, you know, be my artist name, is because I liked the idea of creating a musical world a creative world where it's like everyone involved in it takes just as much pride and has just as much of a stake in it as i do and like we really have that for better or worse and sometimes it's not as good as it could be because it's like i don't have a fucking manager publicist photographer whatever who've been doing this for 20 years you know like we stay with us. That's it. 
But at the same time, like, that's, to me, like, fuck, right? Like, mm. that's everything. <laughs> that's everything. Yeah. And um, I feel like it resonates, and people just feel it. And it's like, that to me is why I've been able, you know, like, I'm still fresh and new to everybody. And I'm fucking 29 years old. You know, and it's like, Straight yeah. And uh, people like they they listen to my music and they hear my shit. No, you same. could have you could have twenty nine or like a tattoo that changes ages. You still fly. No, but I'm saying, but that's the reason. The I feel like I'm being conscious of that, and the reason why I've been through all these different generations of music in the past ten years. You know, I moved here in two thousand five. Like we were saying, like. It's because it's never been about me like grabbing on to something that was higher than me. And it's always been about me having such a big ego and so much pride in myself. And it goes back to Maddie Reagan and being like, my people are the best. So it's like, whatever I come in with, that's it. And we still have yet to work with anybody, right? I mean, who's like, I don't fucking work with no producers, you know? Like, I could. Like, I work with Elangelo, who made the Weekend album, and I work, I've worked with fucking Greg Kirsten, and I've never, I mean, fuck, bro. Like, if you name them, I probably worked with them, producer-wise, but who makes all my records is me and Cal Basie and Nick Nack. Yeah. Mm. That's it. And, like, I mean, every once in a while, there's, like, another one, but not really. And who manages me? My boy from middle school and Fess. Who's Nick Nack's best friend? <laughs> and who's my photographer, Max Schill? It's like, who just hit me up on Instagram in Portland when I had a spot date there? You know, like, I'm gonna come take a picture at your show. I mean, you know, and like, that's my whole squad is like that. And we don't like, we don't really look outside of what organically brought us together. And like, if you think about it, it's like, Music is not that serious anymore in the way of, like, like we're not, com like, me and Little Yachty are not competing with, like, who's a better musician. About it. yeah. <laughs> it's about yeah. how much feel do you have on the culture. Not We're not in competition, mm -hmm. but I, what I mean is, like, I don't take anything away from people who impact culture because they do, and they... Uh, like, even though I don't like their music sometimes and, like, I gripe and bitch about so much music all the time because yeah. Yeah, so much music is, is literally dog shit to me. And that's not a little yachty, but I'm just yeah. saying, like, in, in that general, vein, whatever. It's like, I general. hear a lot of music that I literally know, like, if someone else who looked like you imitated you, they would get on, like, just as fast. And it happens every day. So it's like, like, I know that that exists and... It makes it even more important to just be like, okay, fine. We exist in this industry, mm. in this creative world of music, which means something different now than it used to like 15 years ago or whatever. Yeah. But the principle of like, since it is creative and it's not uh, bounded by like any type of like prerequisite education or, you know, like you had to come from this type of background. It's, music like you could be anybody as long as 
you know, you enjoy it and you have a feel for it. It's like, I want to bring people around me who I love and like people I respect. One trillion. Yeah. And so that's like what we've been doing. And really when I look out at all the other successful people, I see the same thing. And so it's like the blueprint to me nowadays for music is like, you got to mob with your people. And like, that's what g Easy does. That's what YG does. Ty Dolla Sign, like everyone I've been, you know, in touch with and really seen, it's like they've been with their people and just like haven't looked back. And I, and like music affords you that because it's not fucking rocket science. It's like I'm gonna be very honest in this, and I feel like we've culminated at a very beautiful area, right? Because I'm gonna leave it here. Because what you're going to do is about to be very beautiful. You feel me? And this is where my voice like gives out, but let me try to <laughs> give it away. All those people that you spoke of that are doing it with their teams, understand this. There are members of their teams that you'll never hear about. Yes, they're doing it with their teams because the motherfuckers that seized the opportunity got it. The motherfuckers that came in and like were asked to play a role did that. It's crazy. It's not crazy. I genuinely, more than anything, am enamored and love your being more than anything which allows me to completely be a super fan. And I'll fangirl out on you whenever the fuck I want to when I hear a record or when I have an opinion. Like, I'm a very, like, forward person, but, like, there are certain times where I just know that, look, like, I may have an opinion, I'll say it, and I don't need to, like, make a ruckus of it. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But... I truly believe that you're going to make history. I do. I truly believe that your pursuit and your search is the most important part of all this shit. You feel me? I respect, admire the fact that those that have been with you, 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 you continue to prove that you're doing it with them. Right? And never will I discredit that. But also understand that those that are doing it with you now, the ones that when we talk about then or when we come back to when it is, right, will be with you because they've been trying to become great at what they do. Well, I, I would just say also to that point that I don't, it's not um, the the picture that I'm trying to paint is not like I fuck with all my people because of loyalty because honestly it's not like I didn't besides Josh who we didn't like link back up yeah. business wise till 10 years after we knew each other yeah. it's not people I grew up with more so what I mean is like I really am blessed like I know I talk a lot about Matt but like I swear to God like you played bass like he can play every guitar solo Absolutely. that you've ever... Like, I was just literally was lucky. And, like, so much of all this shit is about luck. Like, my luck was that I worked with people that were just so psychotically talented. Yes. 
Yes. That nowadays it's like it's not an accident. Like I worked with Thundercat, you know, and I got a I got a song like Kendrick and all them know about me at TDE because when I heard this one Soundwave beat that had fucking Thunder, like no fuck that. It's actually because ten years ago I seen Thundercat playing bass and his brother playing drums at an open mic. Cause I was with Matt and it yeah. was like, we went wherever the best musicians were. So it's just like, I've been able to recognize like true greatness. Off like, rip. Thundercat is true greatness. You Off know? rip. Flying Lotus, like all this type of shit. Like there's a lot of bullshit that's kind of great. Like Kanye, like is great, but like, he's not like, he's culturally great. But then there's also like, Musical genius. Yes. That's like yeah. something yes. different. 100%. And yes. I've been around like musical, like damn near musical genius. So being able to have been around that has always steered me in the direction of that type of like brain power. And it goes to business too. And one like, one trillion you know, percent. It's like Josh, no, look, Josh and Fest are like that business wise. And it's like, they weren't like no one would have ever known that. And we went through hell. Like I, I had people I sitting it. me down being like, you can't be with Josh. Yeah. You know, like he doesn't know what he's doing. Like yeah. he doesn't. And I'm like, you don't fucking understand. I don't give a fuck what you think about him. Yeah. Like you'll find out. Yeah. And it's being true. And it's going to be more top. and more true. And everyone who said that. Off top. No, I this. dare you to call his ass no, and no, try to no, have a no, meeting no, with him. This. Josh. Josh, look, Josh, look, I'm going to call your ass out right now. You ready? Josh, thank you for being the person that you have been for this genius motherfucker's life. You understand me? Never, never will I call you out on that at all. Never will I call you out on any experience you've had. What I'm saying is this. Your genius mind has been able to attract other genius minds. That's it. I never want to come at you from the standpoint <laughs> of saying that like I'd feel any type of way. I don't. Because again, I don't want to know. It's all about understanding. And I do. Right. Your path has been brilliant from the fact of the matter of when you were born as an Ashkenazi Jew. <laughs> right. <laughs> With these little veins that came up in this spot. Right. Up until now. Yeah, Everything that's happened. Look, look at that. Yeah, fuck looking it up. Like if they if they hear this long, they are gonna know it, right? And they will, and that's the beauty of this. And I hope you and I hope you get that button fixed on some trill shit. No, it's not. I'm fixing it. I know that. Your journey, your story, everything you've been to through, right? Everybody you've come across. Your history is literally in the making. Like yeah. your your journey is one of the most. We're like, just getting started. You are, and it's one that's of the why most this cool. whole interview thing is um, scary to do as an artist because it's like I already knew that we were gonna get really like in deep about all types of shit, and I like I like that because you never know. You you know it's like I'm still proud of what I've done thus far. And all my people that I've done it with. But it's a little, uh, the like breadth of it all is a little much for what I feel like I've accomplished so far. Yeah. But I appreciate it still. And I think you're right. Like what you said earlier is really true. It's like 
fuck like what happens in music especially in music nowadays like yeah. the ups and the downs of it is fucking crazy and like yeah. what what impacts culture and what doesn't it's like you don't really even fucking know anymore it's just like we're all in this tornado of mu- of uh f- fucking expression that's yeah. just kind of like who knows where it lands like it could be Migos one day or it could be Ed Sheeran or Justin Bieber or Marky Basie or every, you know Alicia Cara or some shit it's like you have no idea anymore there's no rhyme or reason so I think that this whole podcast is really cool because it's like it is true that what's like culturally relevant is something that you really can feel and what's like what becomes something that's popping is like whatever at this point it's almost like it's more important what's actually like budding beneath the surface because especially nowadays more people know about it you know and it's like it's things like this that sort of push that even farther to the surface and that's like i mean we all know now like it's not it's not a secret. Like the person with the number one hit in the world is not the best touring artist anymore. It's like the the real, the people who really move the culture are the ones that that get paid off this you know, shit every day. You know what's really important to me is this, and that's it. And and this is me telling you this, knowing that your history is far beyond this podcast. Like the legacy that you have is going to be like in this period right after and continuing right in the eighth grade you had a moment in the in the end of 11th grade you had a moment after 12 a.m night you had a moment after this podcast you had a moment the beauty is is we catch in the moments because I, i gotta say too is like tomorrow i'm going in to finish my first album. Of course you are. Yeah. You have six days. I'm here. I'm to, good. I'm in exile. And uh, that's going to come out in early May. Is this my promotion uh, part? If you no. want to go through it, go through it. Well, I mean, shit. I'm just, um, I'm here. I'm good. I'm in exile. Comes out in May. <sighs> and we, uh, like, literally, I was supposed to do this last night. <laughs> and I, I was, um. Just being a bitch, bro. I told you I was sick. I wasn't sick, bro. I, was just I feel like, you, but you like how I text you. No, but no, but no, but you know what the funny thing is? Again, me knowing your your. I'm text, sorry. I was just. No, but I no, didn't no, feel Mark, like talking, Mark, bro. I didn't no, feel Mark, like talking. Mark, Mark, look, know this, know this. <laughs> me and Max just were watching Netflix videos. I get that. I was like, fest, bro. That. I no, cannot go talk no, with the news right now. I get that. We're gonna talk for three hours about hella shit. I can't do that right now. Yeah. Well, Mark, you know what the beautiful thing about it is? <laughs> knowing who I am and knowing when I can be like stunt on a motherfucker or not, I texted Fez all love, though. Like, I we know good. you did. He sent me the and, text. No, but. No, and, no, I know he sent you the text, but I also sent Mark the text, hope you feel yeah. better, bro. Like, we, like look. Right? And then I also <laughs> sent Fez the text of, bro, let me know if tomorrow's an option also, because lightweight, I knew, but... I wanted to have somebody in 
right? And if Mark wasn't going to come in before lockdown, I knew I wasn't going to get him because he's going on tour with John Bellion through Europe. You know what I'm saying? So I knew that we had a little time frame, but did I act that like super scared? No. No. It's either we got it or not, but that's not the issue. Back to the point, and we're going to get the second round of promo later, is this. My G, one of the biggest reasons why you're on here and why I was so forceful having you on is because of how much I love you as an artist and as a human being. Your path is, is, is literally just starting. Regardless of whatever acclaim or not it is, you already know goddamn well you can call mama right now and you better believe she knows you made it. The rest is you. You have your team with you. You have a very sincere mission. Your soul is golden. I can't wait to see what the future holds for you because I also know that you know that you only have control of it. And that's it, right? Your path is about to be beautiful. You have a fan in me for the life of you. And I'm so happy and so thankful that you came on and went through your story with us, and we here. Roushi, anything else? We got here, baby. Where can they find you? Shit. Uh, I be out there on Melrose, walking Shit. around. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was Melrose five years ago, folks. No, 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 no to this day. No, uh, Melrose <laughs> and Fairfax, I be out there. But, um, M A R C E B A S S Y on every handle, Marky Basie, and um, we uh, do our best to be um, interactive Believe that. with all the fans and everyone who uh, believes in us. And we'll be uh, on tour, like you said, um, we're opening for John Bellion, and um, starting March 14th, we're doing a Europe tour, and then we get back here, and we'll be uh, doing a tour in. Um, April and May, another U.S. tour. I just got off my first uh, U.S. like headlining tour, so we'll be doing another headlining tour in yeah, May, awesome. in June. And it was written. Baby like yeah, boy. we're really uh, we'll be putting out this new uh, all this new music. I've literally uh, I haven't put out an album yet, so this will be the first one coming in May. And uh, I'm here. I'm good. I'm in exile. That's the name. Pretty based. But uh, you guys will have to deal with that. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've I've been working on this music my whole life. And this is my uh, my chance to finish it and get it to all the people. So I'm blessed and excited. And I'm glad y'all got to, like, even have the audacity to fathom what his whole life could have been. Because he spoke about it up until now. Mama! We made it!